Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a wonderful feeling. Everything's going my way. Activision has just been acquired by Microsoft. Let's get into it. Okay. Real quick, I sang Oh What a Beautiful Morning once again because it was the song that was used in the trailer that announced the acquisition this morning from Xbox, and it was hilarious. I love Oklahoma. If you've never seen the musical, there's a, there's a, a, a filmed version of the musical with Hugh Jackman starring, and it's wonderful. Highly recommend it. Okay, real quick, I want to make this little segment a disclaimer. This is going to feel weird in the pacing, so while you're hearing this, know that I've already recorded about an hour of this podcast. I went off on such a long and intricate tangent involving the military-industrial complex, uh, the capitalist democratic systems at play in America, the difference in the consumer's power, the consolidation, the acquisition, and the importance of IP, the marketing of such, and the artistry of other entertainment mediums, and I pretty perfectly tied it all together and made it very apparent the scale, the complexity, and the importance of how big this Activision acquisition deal really is. So it was a complete off-the-dome tangent, as most of these things are. And I absolutely did not mean to go off on such, such a long tangent about things without actually talking about Activision Blizzard. Because the whole time I'm trying to really, really hammer home how big this deal is. Because I don't think people understand how big of a deal it is. I really don't, and I don't think the media is going to cover it. I've talked about it before, and I think some people talk about it. Oh, $69 billion is a lot of money. So I talk about that as in comparison of what $69 billion could buy in the military. I talked about the the power and why it kind of went through. I talked about the erosion and counter-knowledge and some stuff like that, right? It's all very important stuff because it's a little bit of history. It's a little bit of economics. It's a little bit of... Uh, uh, f- uh, some other factors, you know, art and, and culture and things, and it's all interconnected and intertwined, and a little bit about social behavior and, and psychological behavior uh, within people. And it's all kind of beautifully intertwined in this package to just kind of an offshoot, just to explain, highlight, and thoroughly point out how big this is and how things are interconnected. And I use that as an opportunity to teach people something, to tell them some of my personal beliefs, thoughts, and processes on how I think about monopolies, how I think about IP acquisition, consolidation, and how I think about uh, the scale of purchase power and the rights of the consumer and how important it is to protect the rights of all people at all times, regardless of what's going on. So that's what the next few segments are about. Now, please, I'm going to urge you to just listen because a couple things first of all it's kind of cool how i go in detail and show you the scale of things and then also so it's entertaining it's kind of cool i think it's also important it's informative i'm hopefully teaching you some value there yeah it's philosophically heavy i will be honest with you 
it is a little heavy on the history, politics, and philosophy of things. But it all plays a big impact on why this acquisition was able to go through today and why that is important to understand in scale. So that's why I talk about it in the way I do. And I just wanted to kind of have this segment that's recorded after the fact to interject and kind of brace you and preface you because I don't want you to think that I'm completely like walking past the actual news and information, but the news is pretty simple. The acquisition went through. I have multiple podcasts that have talked about it before, about the specificities of what's to come. And at the tail end of the podcast, I'm going to talk more in detail and reminisce and go in detail about Activision Blizzard. So this is a super long, super, super long episode. This might be the longest one ever, but it is a big deal. It is something I have been covering for almost two years, and I have like six or seven podcasts on this that are all almost three hours long each. So I have a lot of thoughts and feelings on this because of how interconnected this really is and how much this highlights everything this channel is about. It's quite incredible how much of a full circle this is. Almost, almost four years to the date of when I started this podcast channel, my first podcast episode was my first initial impressions on COD Modern Warfare 2019. And I think I, I think I did that in November, December-ish of 2019. I think it was, it was either late October or November. We're mid-October. So it's almost like four years to the day. And it was about COD. So four years later, this entire deal encompasses a lot of what I talk about throughout the show. Throughout the, the series of episodes I've done. Not just on Activision, but on video games and the entertainment industry as a whole. And so this is kind of a... It's a historic lesson, it's a history lesson, it's a philosophical lesson, it's an economic lesson, it's a, it's a telltale for the future. This is my signature footprint on saying, I said this on the day of the acquisition going through, and I've said other things as it was progressing, but I'm saying this now, this is in the history, it's out there. I want you all to hear it though, because I do find it's very important and entertaining, and it hopefully teaches you something. Obviously, you could skip through it at your pace. You're your own person. I'm not going to control you. But I'm just saying I think it would actually create, uh, create a lot more value because I'm not just going to talk about video games the whole time. I'm talking about some other things. But it is all interconnected in one way or another, and I try to point that out. Once again, I am going from the top of the dome. Once again, I am going on long tangents. So that is kind of how this goes. And so I apologize if it's a little messy. I apologize if it's very long. I do. But I can't always apologize. This is how the format goes. This is what I love to do. And if you are here to listen, I thank you very much. Because I think you're going to get a lot out of this. And I wanted to front load this before you get into almost an hour of some really interesting connections. Mind you, it's not boring. So please, please, please listen. I think you'll be very, 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 very excited to hear what I have to say about all this and how it's all interconnected. But I just want you to know that past this segment, you will be getting into some things that feel way off beat because they kind of are, and I'm going off on an autistic info dump about random things, but they are all connected at the end, and they are important to learn even if they're not connected. So please stick around and enjoy that. Now, before we get into that, let me give you a little bit of more of Activision stuff before I go off. <laughs> and then in the end, I'll circle back around more to the Activision specificity. So the deal went through today. 
And we've been going through a lot of back and forth. 25 months, I've read somewhere. I don't know if that's true. I can't remember when it was announced. But it was announced a while ago. And later down the line in this podcast episode, I'm going to reminisce and go beat by beat in the feelings I've had. Now, as I've said before, I am an Xbox ecosystem person. I, as a consumer, am a fan of this move because it benefits me as a consumer. I've talked about this numerous times. Objectively, I can see the problems this faces, and that's part of why I talk about so much about the industry, economics, consolidation, all that stuff, because it does pose problems going down the line, and that's what I talk about in the future segments, and it scares me a little bit. But regardless of that, as a consumer, as a fan of Xbox, I am excited. As a Game Pass subscriber, I am very excited. I get a lot more value for the money I put in. Even if they raise the prices, the value is still exponentially higher. Couple that with Activision was in the shitter. I mean, yeah, they were making good money, but... Say what you will, not everything's perfect. Microsoft isn't, you know, the angel of all beings. But they treat their employees way better than other companies do. And especially, almost anyone other than maybe Ubisoft treats their employees better than Activision. So that's a big plus. The employees, the creatives are getting, first off, they're getting way more resources. You have to understand that even though Activision's fucking huge, absolutely massive, they can stand on their own in terms of profitability and, and influence. They can stand on their own up to toe-to-toe, not really toe-to-toe, they just got acquired, but they could stand very close to Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo, all of these ones that are massive, that are much, much bigger than Activision, that make consoles. So Activision not making consoles, just making games, can stand within earshot of them is quite impressive. That is a scale that people don't understand is super powerful, and they're a third-party developer, so their games go on all platforms. They're not first-party exclusive until now. Now, some of their games will stay third-party, and that's good, but um, but now they're owned by a company, and we're going to see more of this happen. Sony's buying Bungie, and you know Microsoft a few years ago bought Bethesda, right? So we're seeing this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. We are in the time of acquisitions, and IP is king. IP is intellectual property, for those of you who don't know. I talk about that a lot later. Intellectual property is the, um, is the idea, the, the, the franchise, the seed, the kernel of the franchise. Star Wars is an IP. right? It's not a particularly tangible thing. It is a malleable idea that is of an artistic or creative uh, starting point that can be uh, replicated, duplicated, and published in various forms and medias. Right? Star Wars, comic books, lunchboxes, films, television shows, video games, you know, pillowcases. Doesn't matter. Right? That's an IP. COD is an IP. Right? And a franchise is a IP that has proved itself financially, commercially, and critically successful enough to continue a multitude of sequels over time. In the in respect to franchises in terms of like entertainment industry franchises, I don't mean like fast food franchises. I don't mean sports franchises. I'm just talking about entertainment, right? 
And when I talk about entertainment and art, I'm kind of making those interchangeable because to me, art is one of the greatest values that make the world go round and they entertain, inform, delight, and change the way we look at the world, understand the world, and think about everything. It's important. It's valuable. Without art, the world is bland, boring, and to me, pointless. And art, I know it's a very subjective thing i know everyone has that example of like the blank canvas that has nothing on it and someone calls it art and someone doesn't i understand that we can get into that philosophical debate i'm not gonna for the sake of time i'm just gonna say the sake of time and that funny coming from me the next hour is philosophical talk anyway so i'm not gonna bore you with it now but later it's very interesting i i try to keep it very interesting and, and actually even though there's a lot of it it's i try to keep it bouncy so don't be dissuaded or scared it's actually quite good um but my point is that with art, I mean anything from film to television to music to to painting to theater to uh, performance art to dance to uh, you know to video games to whatever. That's all art to me. Logo designs, graphics, something that takes a creative endeavor with a fine-tuned skill to help bring it to life within the respected medium, and then, of course, to publish it is another art form in of itself. It's very difficult, and a lot of people think that it's easy, and it's not. It never is. Right? So always respect the artist. They're always risking everything. They're telling their story. They're telling their truth. They're incubating an idea. They're creating something from scratch, usually, they're procuring it, they're producing it in their medium, they're finding relief, they're finding uh, their voice, their vision through this piece of art, and then they have the balls to publish it to, a, to everybody at random. That's incredible. I'm part of that sphere, my girlfriend's part of that sphere, my roommate and one of my close friends is, one of my other best friends is. There's so many people who are artists. And it doesn't matter the scale, it doesn't matter the success, it doesn't matter how you're doing it. A lot of things are art. There's culinary arts. Fuck's sake, if you're painting a house to painting a car, that's art. Anyone who sees that is seeing a value of an artistic and creative perspective on something that might not have originally been there if it weren't the case for you putting your art there. It's important. More important than people tend to give it credit for. And it's all interconnected. And right now we're at a time where the IP and the art of everything is so so profitable and that's awesome so it has to come with the respect and the equal opportunity in terms of work and um, pay and compensation and credit to the artists themselves the developers are the artists in a video game the publishers aren't i'm just i'm sorry they're not maybe they were before maybe they are in their own personal ventures but as their job entails they're not now publishers are important don't get me wrong, they are. They distribute the art without a publisher for a lot of these things, from books to films to things like that, to video games, a publisher and or distributor. You, you don't have the marketing pull and push and power that you might have if you were with a big publishing house or distributor. You don't have the availability. You know, Part of the art is not just the beauty and the art itself. Part of it is also making sure it gets to the right people at the right time. 
a lot of artists, especially underground artists like myself, a lot of my peers fall short of that. They're artists fan-fucking-tastic. Some, some of the coolest things you'll ever see, from short films to, to, to music to whatever, to paintings. It's absolutely inspiring. You've never heard of it until now. Because I mentioned it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's hard. It's hard when you're underground to market yourself to let people be aware of what you do. Because you're competing with not only everyone else, but you're competing with the giants. But that's okay. That's just part of it. And now we have more tools and more availability to make our own fan base from the comforts of our own living situations. Through social media, through the internet, and through other means. It's incredible. It's hard. It makes it more difficult. It's more saturated because there's more people trying to do it. But it's still available it's not like you have to get signed or you have to get published or you have to get distributed there's other methods so it's a double-edged sword so never i never try to punish the devs i mean sometimes they do stupid things uh especially if the devs are self-published that's a different thing but in the interest of activision activision is a shitty company and how it treats its employees treats its devs and how it treats its fan base now, they're not entirely shitty, let's be fair. They did, they are the ones behind Call of Duty. <laughs> you know, they're the ones behind Tony Hawk, I think. Yeah, Skate is EA, Tony Hawk is, yeah. Um, they're the ones behind Spyro and Crash Bandicoot. And when they acquired Blizzard years ago, they're the ones behind Diablo, Overwatch, World of Warcraft. And when they either acquired or birthed, I don't know, King, they are the ones behind Candy Crush. And you may scoff at Candy Crush, but Candy Crush doesn't give a fuck about you. Candy Crush will make more money than you and your entire family will make in their entire existence plus the entire existence of humanity. That's how much Candy Crush money makes a year. <laughs> Once again, Candy Crush in one year makes more than you and your entire family tree has ever made and will ever make for the continuation of all existence of humanity. Unless you're one of those people who made Candy Crush, or unless you're one of those publishers who gets most of the profits, which isn't really the case, that's it. <laughs> that's how much money that one mobile game franchise makes. Not one game, mind you, it's multiple games, but it's one franchisable IP name just on mobile. I think they make $4 billion a year, give or take. Sometimes more, sometimes less. $4 billion a year. And just so you know, I mean, those games are high-quality made, and apps are expensive to develop, all those things. But let's be very clear. To make an app, to make a mobile game, is way, way, way cheaper than making a full-fledged AAA game. So much cheaper. Right? A COD game could be anywhere between 80 to $200 million budget to make, give or take. It's a little trickier since they're on an annualized system of release. But anyway, um, Candy Crush, I'm not sure about either of these figures. If that is, I mean, I'm just approximating, right, based on my knowledge. But I could see Candy Crush at the highest of production value costing a million. But... Maybe 2.5 million, but, 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 here's a big but to that. That's not actually just de designing the code, the gameplay, and all that, and paying its employees and all that. No, no, that includes marketing. 
That includes the rollout, that includes the publishing rights, that includes all these other factors to it. Uh, the merchandising, the toys, the candies, the treats, and everything else that may come with that. Right? That I could see that at a $2 million price tag because they're the top of the game. That's part of it. They would invest more money because it makes so much money. But when it started, like the first game, I don't know. I, I could see it have probably costed about $100,000. Maybe more than that. Maybe two fifty. That's a lot of money. I know that's a quarter of a million dollars, but like, that's not a lot of money in game development money. Hell, that's not a lot of money in film or television development money. <laughs> it's nuts. And it all starts with the first one. That first one was so massively successful. But mobile games are extremely, extremely sought after by big publishers. Why? Because they're cheaper and easier to make faster. The bar of quality and expectations are exponentially lower. The availability of the market is the highest possible. Everyone has a mobile phone. Absolutely fucking everybody. It's nuts. So yeah. That's all. Sorry, I got distracted, but that's it's vital to understand the scale of this. And this acquisition deal is massive. So I just wanted to point that out. It went through, it's a big deal, and I'm going to go more into the history and philosophy, and at the end I'm going to wrap it up and talk about where I think the future of this deal will go and what it will benefit. Okay, I couldn't sing that as loud as I wanted to for a couple reasons. One, I'm not a good singer. And two, the rest of my apartment is asleep. Because it's a little early to be uh, doing this. But uh, here we are, once again. Thank you all for coming by and listening. This is Psychic Thoughts. Uh, as you know, completely talking and rattling things off the dome, talking about a certain topic, as always. Please, please, please go check out my latest album, Phoenix, on all streaming platforms. Psychic is the name. P-S-Y-K-I-C-K, capital P, capital K. And now, let's get into the largest entertainment acquisition of all time. I think. I'm pretty sure. I'm going to call it that, but I'm quite sure that's got to be one of the largest, I guess, technically, fuck, it's not the largest, it's the second largest, but who gives a shit? Sorry, hold on, my earbuds are causing me problems here. 20th Century Fox's acquisition, um, when, when Disney acquired them, that was like $73 billion. okay, so like $4 billion difference. All right, but that's but that was for one of the lar largest and longest spanning film studios in the history of American cinema. They've been around since like 1918. So like they were they were a centennial company. They were at a hundred years, I think. You know, twenty. We're in the twenty-first century, folks. 
It was founded during the 20th century. So, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, that was huge. That was in 2019. I went by pretty fast, actually. That didn't take as many public hearings and litigation and things because film is huge and so incredible and very solid. And I'm going to be biased because I'm a filmmaker, so go check out my films too while you're at it. But to be to be honest with you, investors and markets and you know people just don't see they see films staying consistent they see it as still being a big big budget big money pulling thing in a lot of instances and a, you know great form of art and entertainment for the world but they don't see it as this burgeoning young new thing that can explode and like just just like pump so much attention to them and just print fucking money. I mean, look at Fortnite. Look at, I mean, Fortnite has made more money than most film studios have in the past five years. With a lower cost of production. Not to say that over the years, the biggest thing is that they've been buying IP and, and likeness and rights and usage rights from film and television studios. And other entities. So that's pretty fucking funny. But anyway. I digress. I woke up. Very recently. So I apologize if I'm a little groggy. I apologize if I yawn. Just bear with me here. But I wanted to get this right off the dome. As it was fresh. There's not many new things to talk about. I have beaten this motherfucking topic to death so in the interest of your time let me just preface it with this if you're interested in hearing the ongoing development since the news that microsoft will be acquiring activision blizzard please go check out my other podcasts my first podcast was within that weekend of the news right and ever since then for the past 25 months two years and one month I have been following this case and doing a lot of research and I've learned a lot in the process in fact I think I've learned more following this than I have <clears throat> things in my internship so uh about business about acquisitions about entertainment acquisitions about how the, all that plays out right it's huge Okay, so, with all that being said, let me get a few things out of the way on personal beliefs and convictions towards this. Okay, now, if you want a lot of details or if you want spe uh, specifics, a kind of beat-by-beat -beat moment breakdowns of that time, please, please go check out my previous episodes on Activision. I think in almost everything I either call it ABK or Activision in the title in some way or another. Thoughts on it or impressions or feelings or whatever. But it usually always has Activision or ABK, which is short for Activision Blizzard King, which are the three big uh, parts of this company. Right? Because Activision's fucking ginormous. Folks, Activision is the largest video game publishing house. 
that is, well, as of today, before today, that wasn't affiliated with a first-party studio. Right, that wasn't affiliated with the studio that also produces consoles. Okay, right. Microsoft, Sony, PlayStation, and Nintendo has have have larger publishing bodies and larger power than Activision alone. Right, but what active where Activision differed from them is it was almost comparable in terms of income and in terms of product generation. And in terms of fan base, and the biggest difference was it was third party, and what there, so some terminology, right? First party means in the we're just talking video game and video game business, and I will connect this to the entertainment industry, and and I want to just say that this is important. Whether or not you understand if this is important, you gotta you got to understand me right now. This is not only just big news. Exciting for us Xbox players, but also kind of damning for all of us as gamers. So it's a, it's a mixed bag. Um, but, but it's big news because it's one of the largest entertainment acquisitions ever. It is the largest video game acquisition of all time. It is radically going to change the way video games are made, looked at, acquired, developed, published for the next forever. This is a huge, huge turning point. This is not just some bigger studio acquiring some small dev team that we all love. That happens, and that can change a lot for the fan base of that dev team. Now, this is one of the biggest companies in the world acquiring one of the biggest publishing companies for video games in the world and acquiring in the process three entire fucking franchises that are some of the largest entertainment franchises in the history of entertainment franchises. That includes comics, novels, film, television, um, you know, uh, uh, theme parks, and, uh, and video games. When I say entertainment franchises. Okay? So that's the scale of it, right? Another thing to throw on this scale the f-22 raptor oh, why is he talking about the american military because i am just hear me out for a second the f-22 raptor is one of the most advanced um fighter uh combat planes ever designed technologically speaking it is so hard to pin it is essentially a stealth fighter to this day to this day with modern technology it surpasses the F-15 Raptor, which is already ahead of its time, so much that it has a 40 to 1 KD ratio in simulated combat scenarios. With the F-15 Raptor, which is before the F-22 Raptor came along, which was the most advanced fighter jet pilot, and is still, the F-15 is more, invi uh, more um, you know, lethal and, and, you know, advanced than any other fighter jet from any other nation. Most, a lot of other nations with um, somewhat advanced militaries, they're working on things like the F-2 Phantom and, and, and stuff of that nature. You know, kind of Cold War, late 90s era planes. Now, mind you, those planes are still really fucking powerful. And they're still very efficient, um, very reliable, low cost, very high, uh, very easy to maintain, which is part of the reason why they have them. And they're just very efficient. And for most combat scenarios, for most nations, those suffice just fucking fine. 
The only reason why they wouldn't is if a nation decided to go to war with America, right? But America is one of its core penance and how it operates, one of its core philosophies and how America operates as a nation is to have the most advanced military. Because when you have the most advanced military, you have safety from and of the world. And that's a very important philosophy America has always lived by post-World War II, right? Okay, Sai, why are you mentioning this? I'm mentioning this because I want to highlight how fucking lethal these planes are. Their radar detection is the size of a bumblebee. They can move up to 700 plus miles an hour, I think. Oh no, I might be getting my facts mixed up. Anyway, they can hit super fucking fast, like insanely fast. They're one of the fastest fighter pilots for the size that it is and for the amount of uh, armorage on board. It's fucking nuts. The maneuverability, the stealth mechanics, how fast this fucking thing can fly, and how much firepower it brings on board. Once again, one F-22 Raptor could take on 40 F-15 Raptors. Which, in theory, means it could probably take on about 140 of any other nation's regular planes. One. Okay? We have 128 of these motherfuckers. Which doesn't sound like a lot, right? But when you look at how advanced they are, how much ahead of them, 128 of these F-22 Raptors can take over and win a war with air superiority in any scenario anywhere on Earth. Having 120 of them allows us to have air superiority regardless of the situation. Those are just the fighter pods. That doesn't even include the other components to our incredible air force. Okay, so Sai, why are you talking about those? I'm getting to, more importantly, I just wanted to highlight how fucking advanced these planes are because they're really cool and I think you should know about them. But also, so they're so, they're so powerful, right? We have all of them. They're so goddamn good. America, a capitalist country will not sell these planes to any other nation. No, not even our allies. We don't do that very often. We usually sell and share with our allies. Now, for a very pretty penny, it's part of our economy. So, when our government and when our military complex and our capitalist society looks at a thing that we've made and realizes how... S I mean, don't get me wrong, it will be the most expensive thing we could sell. It'd be worth so much money, it would boost the economy tenfold. But they understand it's so goddamn powerful, they would rather just keep it for ourselves, which is always good in the, in the interest of the nation's security, right? So we have a handful of things like that. In terms of the aerials things, it's F-22 Raptors um, and AC-130s uh, and then A-10 Warthogs and a handful of other things, right? I think the Chinook, although other nations can develop things similar to the Chinook, but not quite like the Chinook, the Apache, or Apache, whatever. So, things like that, right? That's, that's the caliber. It's so fucking advanced, we won't sell it. It costs $350 million, with R&D costs uh, attached to it, $350 million per plane. I was watching YouTube that broke all this down and what taught me all this, so... Um, the Fat Technician. Highly recommend for those who are interested in the uh, weapons and world history and war and all that. Uh, that stuff just fascinates me. The technology, the money, all of it, and how it plays a huge impact on how the world works. Anyway, 
So the F-22 Raptor is $350 million with the R&D costs attached to it. So for one, we have 128. Now, I don't know how to do that math from the top of the head, and I could be wrong, but in the video, and I think it was 128. It was something like that, 124, 128, something like that. Anyway, so the, the guy, the fat technician in his YouTube, by the way, definitely just check him out. All props to him on, on this factoids of the F-22 Raptor. That, this is where I'm getting my source from. He crunched the numbers, and this clicked to me last night. I was, I was watching this last night, and this is when it clicked. He crunched the numbers for all of these planes, every single one of them that the American uh, military owns that, that we've developed. It comes out to around a total cost of $69 billion. Once again, $69 billion. That's a fuck ton of money, folks. <laughs> There's no two ways you can cut that. For 120 planes... It costs nearly $70 billion. That's insane. Most nations would rather have 400 planes that probably cost a total of $10 billion. <laughs> or $25 billion even. But to have just over, just barely over 100 cost $70 billion fucking dollars is redonkulous. And that is a testament to how advanced these motherfucking things are. Right? And that is true. These things are so advanced, we're not even willing to sell them. They are so leaps and bounds ahead of their country, I shit you not, I think 10 of them could probably create air superiority in almost any conflict given. Obviously, with the uh, enough support to be able to have a little bit of radar, a little bit of extra firepower, and fuel, because they are fighter jets, not designed to be up there forever. right? And that's why we have other things at play. But... Air superiority is one of the most important things when entering into a military conflict of the asymmetrical modern uh, doctrine of war. When you have air superiority, you can win a war. It just makes it easier. Because when you can hit anyone on the ground from anywhere up high, <laughs> it means the world. <laughs> right? And the armaments that are equipped on planes are much, much bigger than anything on the ground could carry, including a tank. Right? So, since World War II, air superiority has been understood as the main modern doctrine to try to capitalize on in the initial start of an invasion. That's why, in every military invasion post-World War II, we have air raids. And that's why a lot of other nations do that, too. They understand, if you bomb all the critical sites, the... The, the headquarters, the logistics areas, the, the training facilities, the boot camps, the, the barracks, the whatever, right? If you do that, fuck, even in Clash of Clans, for my Clash of Clans players, relating it back to gaming. If you have a balloon bomber behind a dragon, I haven't played in years. The strategy could be completely shit broke now. But it used to be if you had a dragon, which was like an aerial tank, like a B-52 bomber, fly the fuck over. And then you had your balloon guys, fragile as shit, but when they dropped something, they took it out. And they purely targeted defense systems. That's literally a page from the modern doctrine of military operations, 101, air superiority. And you start with an air raid, and you take out critical infrastructure components to that nation's defensive uh, hierarchy. Right? It makes sense, you know? take out their guns, you take out their supplies, you take out, you cut them off from the world. Communication, supplies, and defenses as much as possible. And in an initial ambush sweep that they can't see coming with dominant force of fire from above. It's like God is mad at you and deciding to shit bullets out on you. 
That would be horrifying. It's what Russia did to Ukraine. It's why Russia initially had the jump. And uh, that's awful. Um, we haven't seen a full-scale invasion of another nation in years. And it was completely unprovoked. That was the other thing. It wasn't a response to anything. Was it wrong that the American military invaded all of the Middle East? <laughs> At different points throughout the early 2000s? Yeah. It was pretty fucked up. And we didn't do the best that we could have. And I'm not knocking the, the men and women who risked their lives or who lost their lives overseas because they did something more incredible than almost any of us could, could fathom. They decided to take up arms to train themselves and to dedicate their livelihood or their life to the service and to the interest of protecting people they don't know. That is one of the most honorable and courageous acts a singular human can do in my mind. And I will always respect them for that. So I'm not blaming them, but I am blaming the logistics and the higher-up brass. Now, they still actually did a really good job considering the circumstances. It's not easy to invade a fucking desert that was in the middle of civil war after civil war, right? So we, Russia failed at doing it. And Russia had, at, at the time when Russia tried to invade Afghanistan, they had way, 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 way way a superior army over Afghanistan. They shouldn't have had any problems getting through there. And they did. That should have been a sign to us, but it wasn't. So, um, sorry for the World War history lesson here, but I think this is important just in general to know for anyone who's... I think it's just important to understand some of these things at times. I find it interesting. I know it's not interesting to everyone, and I'm not pro-war, I'm not like we need more war. I think war is awful. But I think you have to understand war. You have to understand both sides of the coin. I think it's only fair. Because I don't think anyone thinks war is great. But I think we have to understand why it happens, how it happens, to be able to know how to understand or process it if it happens again, or how to counteract or how to maneuver appropriately if it were to happen again. It's only fair. That's why we have history. To look back, to analyze, to reflect, to learn from what has happened, and to project and to make uh, course corrections for what's to come. So anyway, um, but when we started with like Desert Storm, or when we started our invasion in Iraq in 2003, everything started with air superiority. We bombed the fuck out of things. That's what you do. First two weeks is an aerial raid campaign. Hell, to two months, doesn't really matter. Just depends on whatever's needed. Just a bombardment. It's safer. For the offensive side, obviously. Um, it's awful. It's awful that it has to happen at all. I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying, if and when it happens, that's what you're going to probably be seeing. And ever since World War II, that's what happened. That's, that's what Hitler did. Hitler had the most advanced aerial... Uh, force in the nation in the world at the time tank and air superiority and not too far after submarine superiority he never had naval superiority let me be very clear he just had like the assassin equivalents which were very effective because they were countering the navels uh, the, the, the two largest navies in the world England and France the US was not the largest navy in the time of World War II, 
But FDR pushed through the largest military infrastructure bill that actually changed the way we look at industrialization um, and created in the span of four years the largest naval production of ships and, and advanced ships, warships and carriers and all these things in the span of four years. He greenlit that before America officially entered the war because he wanted to be ready and he also needed a reason to do so and he wanted to, he wanted to kill Hitler. I learned this recently. Anyway, so you're like, all right, Cy, what the fuck does this have to do with Activision? Nothing really except I just wanted to highlight that with Microsoft's buying power of what they just did to purchase one video game publisher, a massive one at that, and an important one in video game history, they could have bought a hundred, they could have bought all of America's F-22 Raptors. Technically, that would have made them one of the most powerful military forces on Earth if they had just those planes. Now, they still wouldn't be able to like take over America, but they would have a higher probability than anything else. That's one corporation spending one purchase order, which takes a long time, and it's not like they're just throwing $70 billion at once, but you know what I mean? They're their acquisition cost $69.7 billion, and that is roughly the amount of all of the most advanced fighter pilots on the face of the fucking earth to buy. That's it. That's all I wanted to say. I'm sorry for going into the deep dive on history. I think it's important, and I've been studying and thinking about it a lot lately, so it just kind of came up. But I do think it's kind of fucking nuts when you think about it and you put it in scale, because I think we're throwing around the $69 billion like it's nothing. And I think people are forgetting what $69 billion can buy elsewhere. And I think there's no better example from than the video I saw last night where it showed that it literally, to have the most advanced fucking airplane fleet military fighter combat fleet in the history of the known universe is the same price tag that Microsoft just paid to acquire Activision Blizzard that closed today. So that's all. There you go. God, I love when I get to sneak in a little fucking history lesson for you guys. You think you're just going to hear about video games, then boom. All of a sudden, you've just learned about one of the most advanced... Uh, fighter combat planes <laughs> you've learned about its price tag you've learned about uh, a common military doctrine and operation tactic there you go <laughs> hopefully you learned something alright let's get into more about the Activision Blizzard deal here we go before I went off on the whole tangent I wanted to make a few disclaimers I wanted to say a couple things before I really got into this and I don't know how much I'm going to talk about this. And I also don't know how much I'm going to repeat myself from previous things I've said. Because the biggest news is that it is done and Microsoft has officially acquired Activision Blizzard. I could just say that in a 30-second podcast and call it a day. But I want to talk more about it. I want to have updated thoughts and feelings. And I really want to talk about where I think it goes from here. Because everything beforehand was, oh, it's kind of approved. Oh, it's moving on to the next stage. Oh, so here's what can happen. And now it's done. And I want to kind of look back and I want to just kind of, I just want to enjoy and, and bask in how much I've spent time on figuring this out. But first I want to get over some other quick disclaimers. I know we're about 30 minutes in already, so I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you getting through the little military uh, section of this episode <laughs> that will always make me giggle. So thank you for, for listening through. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, 
I'm biased. I'll be, I'll be the first to say it. I'm biased. I've mentioned this before. I'll keep mentioning it. I have a PC. I have an Xbox Series S. I have been with the Xbox ecosystem since the 360. My dumbass never bought a PlayStation 4. I know, I know. I was stupid and I was young and I wanted to keep with the same games in the ecosystem. And I kind of wish I didn't with Xbox One, but I'm okay with it because at the end, here I am and I'm happier than ever to be a part of that. Long dry spell. Missed out on a lot of cool games and opportunities. But sometimes you stick to the console because you're a kid and you don't know any better. Or because all your games are already there. And now backwards compatible uh, games is more of an option more than ever. Thank the Lord. And most importantly, what people don't consider is that's where their friends are. If your friends have an Xbox or a PC or whatever, whatever it may be, you're going to stay there. <laughs> yeah, there's more crossplay games than ever and that's beautiful and we need to keep increasing that number. But that is not... The remedy. There's not enough to compensate. You know, there's really only a few, and they're getting more, and there are some great ones. Uh, there's a lot of great ones, but there's only. But there's not as many great crossplay games as there is just normal great games to play. You know what I mean? So it is a hindrance, and it sucks. So. But I'm fortunate because I, I got into Game Pass three or four years ago. It has saved me a shit ton of money. It has allowed me to expand and play and experiment with games. It has allowed me to better sharpen my tastes, my understanding of games and game culture, as, long as, as well as reading books, doing research, being a full autistic nerd about gaming. Right now, like I said, I'm a filmmaker and I'm a rapper. That's what I do. And I am more of a nerd about film than anything else. You just don't hear me talk about it because, like I've said before, that is my profession. And I have episodes where I talk about it. In fact, one of my favorite episodes I've ever recorded, I did recently, just a few weeks ago, and it's what it's like to be a director in film or something along those lines. It's a three-hour podcast episode, so if you're interested in my perspective on film and some of my experiences, I do talk about it there. And I'm really proud of that episode because it was personal, it was educational, it was entertaining, and I'm really proud to put another piece out there that has to explain more about what I do for a living. Because I do love cinema, I do love hip-hop, and I love a lot of other things too, right? But the reason why I talk about games so much is because, one, it interests me to no end. Two, I like talking about it and info-dumping. And I understand that when I info-dump to my friends and family, I drive them fucking nuts. So this is kind of a source for me to just let it all out. And you don't get a choice, but you do. You do get a choice. It is consensual because you choose to come and listen. And I appreciate when all of you who do come and listen. It means the world. And then also, um, it allows me to digest and reflect and sharpen my thoughts and feelings towards things. It allows me to connect dots. It's kind of a mental strengthening tool as well. So it's therapeutic for me. Hopefully it entertains and educates you. And it strengthens my thoughts and, and points on things. And it allows me to talk about stuff. So the reason why I don't talk about film or hip-hop as much is because there's more pressure on me. Because I'm a professional, I care about it so much. I do care about video games, but I can always come in with a disclaimer. I'm not a dev, I'm not a publisher, I'm not part of the video game creation space. I'm just a fan who does a shit ton of research as a nerd. And that is the same with film and hip-hop, but it also there's a flip side to it. Because I'm also a creator. You know what I mean? And so I can always once in a while talk about my stuff, but I don't feel like I'm at that position yet all the time to talk about it as often because I feel like I have to prove myself more. And it's not anything's like, it's not like I don't feel like I'm good enough at it. I'm, I'm 
great at it. I'm happy to be doing it. I just, you know what I mean? I just, I don't want to be talking about stuff and have my peers watch me and think, oh, he knows everything. Like, oh, what a know-it-all. Because I'm not trying to be that way. I don't know everything. I never have. I never will. And I'll always be the first to say it. I'm just trying to learn just like you are. And I have a different way of learning. And hopefully the way I connect things, the way I learn, the way I absorb information, I can make it entertaining and informative for you. That's my goal. Right? So that's why I talk about video games. Because this is an outlet where I get to freely talk about video games to no fucking end. And I love it. So thank you all for supporting me in that journey. So let's get back to the topic at hand. I am, you know, in this Xbox ecosystem, right? I've had Game Pass. It saved me a lot of money, a lot of time, and has allowed me to sharpen and refine my thoughts, skills, feelings, and ability to know what type of games I like to play and what games I don't, right? So I am very, very biased in this entire Activision Xbox case. So please, please do not mistake or confuse my level of consumerism excitement towards my objective and logistical abilities to reason and to understand that this might not be a good thing in the long run. Right now, there's no harm done because it's literally doing nothing. But in the next 10 years, this could turn out to be one of the worst things that's ever happened in gaming. I don't know yet. But I do know one thing. Anytime an uber mega big corporation acquires and consolidates the creative uh, financial and personnel liberties of an entire other company. It's not always good because there's less competition, there's less creativity, there's less of a difference in voice, and there's more of a consolidated, congealed, singular entity, which isn't good. I'm against monopolization. I'm against, sorry to break it to you folks, I'm against uber capitalism society, which is what America runs on. I'm not against America. I just think we need to retweak our systems here because this whole capitalist system ain't a fucking working anymore because it's designed on the idea of infinite resources when we know good and well we only have a finite amount of resources. So we need to cut back our consumption. We need to cut back control and consolidation of things from art to resources to supply chains, and we need to give a little more back to the people. Oh, he's a socialist. He's a commie. No. And I think the people who call me that, and I think the people who call other people that, don't actually understand what the fuck communism is, or socialism, or Marxism, or an oligarchy, or an autocracy. <laughs> Or a socialist oligarchy sovereign nation, which is kind of a contradiction unto itself, but there are a few, a few nations that try to act like they're that, whether or not they are. Or a capitalistic democratic society. But be, be very, very clear. We are a capitalist country first, and then we are a democracy. Right? A, do a democracy is a sovereign nation that empowers the people to be able to be uh, the voice of their government as much as the enacted government officials are the final point, right? So the people are the sentence and the government officials, the leaders, the president, the, the Congress, Senate, executives, all of them, they're the period. They're the punctuation at the end. They're merely there to finalize the point and then to make it so, 
right? A sentence is not complete without, without its punctuation, right? And that punctuation is very important, but it's just the final point. It's just the final step that, that helps wrap everything up, right? That sentence is really what matters, and the sentence is the people. That's us, our voices, our opinions, our feelings, our vote. And it's vital that we vote. People are like, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm throwing my vote away anyway. It still matters, even though this electoral college system is not fair. Um, it matters because if you're, especially if you're in a swing state. But anyway, I digress. I'm not going to get into the entire electoral college system right now. Um, and this isn't a political thing. I'm just merely stating that this capitalist society thing is not working because we have the largest wealth inequality that we've ever had before. And that is because too many up top have been taking too much. They've consolidated too much power. And now they can protect that power and continue to take too much. And so everyone else is stuck. And it's not one person's fault. It's not one president's fault. It's not one government official's fault. It is two to three generations' fault of not keeping this in check. It is a small and progressive eroding of general protections for the consumer. Right? Citizens United... Uh, as well as a couple other things that gave corporate entities and businesses way, way, way more authority and power than they should have ever had to begin with, right? Things of that nature. So, and it's unfair. It's unfair to our working class. It's unfair to the middle class. It's unfair to the lower class. The middle class is eroding. Our working class is becoming the lower class. The lower class is just becoming homeless. There is no reason for this to be in the wealthiest nation on earth. There's no reason that we should even have a lower class that's so low they can't even afford housing or food. That's ridiculous. It's because the government prioritizes its spending needs and its energy at keeping itself in power and keeping an economy, to be fair, they are very busy at keeping an economy afloat that, that cannot be sustained and kept afloat in this, in this day and age. So, to be fair, they are spending a lot of time and energy, and they are trying their best, but they're just people at the end of the day, folks. You can't hold them to this caliber of knowing how to do everything. Is it their job? Yeah. Should they do it? Yes. And are some of them highly unqualified at times? Yeah. However... I'm pretty sure they still know more than most of us. But the thing is that they're not listening to the people. It's their own echo chamber of their personal thoughts, feelings, and, uh, and you know, convictions. And that's when it becomes a problem. Because now we're separated. The people's voice is being muffled. The corporate companies and the larger money voices are becoming, uh, you know, amplified. And this wealth inequality is stretching the farthest it's ever been. And I understand the frustration. And the tactic right now from a lot of government officials is to spread misinformation, to dissolve trust, and to erode institutions that allow people to be empowered to be able to think for themselves, such as education. Say what you will about how fucked up our Department of Education and how bad our public education is. It's still pretty solid. It's better than not having it at all. And it needs to be strengthened. Teachers need to be paid more. They work a thankless job. We need to have better teachers as well. That's part of it. We need to have an updated curriculum. We need to be accepting of more people, more students. 
of different backgrounds, ethnicities, understanding, ways of learning. Right? It's a systematic approach to erode our education system and the institutions that support and the social structures that support education. It's not just the money and it's not just the Department of Education. We have this erosion of importance towards education, importance towards finishing high school, importance towards at least trying to get a either a four-year degree or a two-year degree, a technical degree, right? To expanding to higher education. And it's not the consumer's fault. It's not the people's fault. It's the way everything has been going. It's too expensive and it may not be worth it for so many. And it's unfortunate. It is worthy though. It, it, I, I'm telling you, it's worthwhile. For those who can go and who are fortunate enough, and it's not easy, I'm not saying it is, to go to college, you get so much out of it, regardless of if you think you are. Right? You're learning, you're seeing, you're talking with other people. That's the first big thing. It allows a lot of people to leave their hometown. It allows a lot of people to go. Or even if it's still in their hometown, it allows them to be in a higher diversity pool of different languages, ethnicities, backgrounds, views on life. That is vital. <laughs> it's very important. And a lot of people don't realize how important that is to the mental development of young adults. Also, you're learning how to learn. That sounds ridiculous, but you're learning how to properly decipher, disseminate information. And you are learning history. You're learning these things. And it may not be that important in the minute details, right? That's okay. Just get through class. But the point is, you're learning how to properly learn. How to trust information. And most importantly, you're learning to know that you don't know everything. Once again, let me reiterate. You're learning to know that you don't know everything. That's important. That's the biggest difference. When I talk to my peers who have been through any type of advanced schooling beyond high school, more often than not, now some of them are still fucking stupid, don't get me wrong, there's so many people who go through college who don't pay attention and waste that time and money when it should have gone to somebody who would have actually cared. So I'm not knocking if you've gone or if you haven't. I've been fortunate enough to go and I went for a very specific reason for film. So it's different for everybody. I don't care if you've gone or not. That doesn't matter to me. All I'm saying is I've noticed that a lot of people who get concerned with not knowing something and who take it upon themselves as an entitlement that if they're not in the loop on something, then that thing must be deceiving them intentionally with malintent. That is a ludicrous concept that has been popularized by misinformation and conspiracy theories, and it's driving me fucking bonkers. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to, friends, family, um, you know, colleagues and other people in college, out of college, doesn't really matter about college, but just so many people in general who don't understand something, clearly have never learned it, don't understand it, don't even care to look into it, and have just immediately assumed because they do not understand it, it is against them. It's a shadow entity that's hiding its information. And I'm like, nah, you just got to find the information, which isn't easy. It's not easy to find the right information. Um, it's like, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I've just, I've had so many friends who are like, oh, well, well. <laughs> right. I had a, I had a friend of mine who, who freaked out about this whole, uh, 
uh, emergency broadcast thing. And I understand to a lot of people who don't understand how that works, it would be fucking weird. How are they able to do that? All these things, right? And why? But I took a radio class for some reason. I took an entertainment electronics class uh, in my second year of college. And I had to take a radio class. And I had to learn all of the frequencies. I had to learn all of the regulations that the FCC and all these other things uh, implement for radio and television and how it's transitioning and kind of there for television streaming electronic devices. That emergency broadcast channel is a specific frequency that is not allowed by any any corporation, organization, or entity to be on. It is purely, even the government, other government bodies can't be on it. It is solely meant for a national synchronized emergency broadcast to inform all the people in America of something going on if it's a severe emergency that requires immediate reaction time. That's it. And it's always been there. It's been established. It's part of the spectral frequency wave. And so people freaking out thinking the government's doing that to probe or to hack their device or whatever dumb shit that, that whole process is makes no fucking sense. Because it's just a frequency. Not too far off from where cellular lies, if I'm not mistaken. So it's not that big of a deal. They have to test these things because there's more cell phones than ever. More smart devices than ever. Just think about the past three years, how much that's increased post-COVID. Right? So, yeah. Is it scary that they can take over your phone? No, because every phone company software has that emergency system programmed into it. So when that frequency is relayed through, that's what pops up. They're not hacking your phone to send you a message, dipshit. It's there. It's just lying idle, as it should be. Kind of like a fire alarm. And so I understand if you're in a building and you're not aware of how fire alarms work and you've never been around one and someone pulls it from a place where you can't see that there was a fire alarm, I understand that might freak you the fuck out. Where are these sounds coming from? How do we know it's an emergency? All these things, right? But most people have the... I know, I'm so sorry I'm getting off track, but this is still important to me. This kind of has to do with monopolization. I know, I, I get way off track, but that's how this works. Because I am going from the top of my brain, so bear with me here. If someone pulls a fire alarm, most people, most sane, common sense people who have general understanding how the, how the world works. I'm not talking about kids, of course. But even as kids, we learn this. When a fire alarm is pulled, you just evacuate. You take what you have in the immediate moment, you, you calmly evacuate the, the building. Whether or not it is a false alarm, it does not matter. You are not privy to that information. And there's no fucking point in risking it. Because smoke inhalation is what kills people in a fire. And you can't tell how much smoke has entered a room until it's too late. So, ain't no motherfucking point in waiting around and trying to see if there's an actual fire. Right? We all understand this as a pretty basic premise. Yeah? It's the same thing for a lot of things in this country. But because of the internet and because of it, disinformation, all these things, people freak the fuck out when they don't know something. So I want to I wanna just make this clear analogy. If 
you don't know that there is a fire alarm there for some reason. Every building is equipped with fire alarms, by the way. But if you don't know that there's a fire alarm there and you don't know if someone's pulling it or if it's automatically going off or whatever because you're not seeing the fire alarm visually being activated, are you going to sit there while that fire alarm is going off and look around and be like, oh, this, this can't be true. Someone's trying to get me outside. I won't take it. Are you going to be that fucking dummy? Oh, they're all sheep. They're all flocks of herds trying to evacuate. I'm the only one that's different. It's like, no, you're just an idiot. That, Yeah, you are different. You're just different stupid. You know what I mean? That's ludicrous, right? That that story is hopefully making you chuckle because you're like, <laughs> it's so stupid. It applies to people who believe that everything that is being done just because they can't see it and they don't know the source or they don't know who's doing it automatically assumes it has no authority or it has no value. That stuff drives me nuts. Now, I'm okay with being a skeptic. I'm not saying blindly jump in and trust literally everything. I never do that. I'm always a skeptic. But you have to trust a little bit of the science. You have to trust a little bit of the natural law. You have to trust common sense. You have to trust what your parents taught you. At least trust what your parents taught you and hopefully they taught you something good. Why would they teach you something that's false? How does that make any sense? They're trying to keep you safe. That's their goal. Even if they don't, even if it didn't feel like they love you. If they're telling you something, they're usually telling you because they've been through it and they're trying to avoid you from having to go through it on a shittier way. Right? That's how we learn as children. Um, this is important because nowadays we live in a time where if someone doesn't know or fully understand something, they're immediately going to invalidate it in its entirety. Not parts of it. Not, you know, oh, I'm going to be a little skeptical until I know more. That's healthy. That's fine. I do that all the time. No, they're just going to be like, oh, no, doesn't exist. Nope, not real. Oh, nope, they're, they're after me. They're trying to hurt me. I can't work. And it's like, why? Why would someone go to that much trouble for you, of all people? How does that make any fucking sense? So this whole counter-knowledge movement, I've talked about it before, I have a whole episode on it, drives me fucking bonkers because it's just stupidity being echoed and amplified throughout every channel and every wavelength possible. And here in Psychic Thoughts, we do not condone that. I'm telling you, personal experiences. I'm telling you maybe anecdotal or metaphorical uh, examples, and I'm telling you factoids, things I've learned, you know, and I try to cite my sources, or at least I try to tell you where generally I've learned this, if applicable. Like I said earlier with the F-22 Raptors, I learned that from a YouTube video on the, from the Fat Technician. I don't know his sources. He could be completely wrong. He could be. I just have to trust that he was right in that little moment. I didn't have the energy last night to fact check it. I was tired as fuck. So that could be completely false information. I'm not sure. So you can you can check him. But I'm going to be honest with you. I kind of trust him. He kind of seems like he knows what he's doing. He was a soldier, for one. <laughs> he's a vet. Um, also, he like prides himself in, in learning this and finding it through the most available means. And usually, like when he's showing, when he's telling these stories, he's showing pictures of the sources he's pulled. I just can't like tell you all the sources because I don't know all of them off the top of my head. But I'm just saying, right? So like, I get that citing sources is important, but I'm just gonna keep it pretty general. I'm gonna just tell you sometimes where it's from, but. Please, please trust me when I say I am trying not to dissuade or disinform anybody in any possible way. Sometimes I'll be wrong. And if I'm wrong, you can always correct me. I don't mind that.
I'm not trying to be right. I'm just trying to talk. <laughs> so anyway, this whole counter knowledge is driving me nuts. And it's directly correlating with how monopolies are moving quietly. They are consolidating and growing. Because right now we have more apathy in the nation than we've had in a long time. I don't care. I'm just trying to get my paycheck. I don't care what Microsoft does. That's them. They made their money. They deserve to do that. Da, 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 da. Yeah, sort of. Except when they're doing that, they're quietly stripping you of more rights than you realize you thought you had. The consumer has a lot of power in a capitalist society, and it's something that we as consumers are forgetting because the wealth inequality and the disparity, because of the erosion of uh, value of education, because the onslaught rise of counter-knowledge and misinformation and conspiracy theories trying to make it seem like everything is against you, like you're Neo in the Matrix, when most of us aren't that fucking important to begin with. So you couple all of this, this loud information that is trying to weigh us down, the wealth inequality due to generations and generations of disparity and not understanding how a capitalist society should be geared for the future. The erosion of the value of education and the education systems and institutions at play uh, at place in America. You combine all these and you have a consumer who is less informed, less motivated, and less aware than ever before. That is by design. That's not a conspiracy theory. That is just general logic. That is by design. That's not like Microsoft sat down 40 years ago and said, now how do we do this, right? That's a fucking fiction. <laughs> I, I'm so tired of this over-exaggerated, personified, evil corporation, you know, doofenshmirtz evil incorporated. That's not how this works. They're just trying to get more money out of you. And so they'll roll with the punches and they'll help aid in any capacity that it takes to get more money out of you. That's it. It's really not that complicated and it's fucked up, but it's not as nefarious as people make it seem. Oh, they're poisoning our water. Oh, they're trying to take over our brainwaves. That's way too much R&D and way too much work when they can just get you addicted to an app or to a service and then just milk you for money. That's all they need. They're just a corporation trying to exist and pay its people. They're not trying to, like, brainwash the people. That has no fucking basis for anything that they're doing. <laughs> they're just trying to get money out of you, which isn't always a good thing. We pay to get a service, right? We pay for a value added to our life. That's why we use our money. It's either for necessity or for value. Sometimes both. Water, food, bathroom, basic utilities, internet for so many, right? Electricity, things like that. Those are necessities. Okay? No problemo. Value. Everyone has different value spectrums. My value is gaming. I have one, you know? I love video games, right? I play them. They, they give me great comfort. They help me with mental and emotional things. They, they're just there. I love them. Not everyone does. That's perfectly okay. Some people prefer to go out. Some people prefer to go do this and that. Sports, whatever. That's fine. Whatever floats your boat. So my value, a lot of my extra money that I'm willing to spend for things that are not necessities will be towards video games. I am a consumer. So the value proposition by the company, by what I'm forking my money over to, has to be of equal value that I could see. And sometimes it's a gamble because you never know what you're buying, right? But for the most part, you can kind of gauge. 
So once again, sorry for going on a whole rant. I guess I'm feeling philosophical today or, you know, a little more heady than usual. But I told you at the beginning, didn't I? I said I didn't actually have that much to say about Activision Blizzard, so I'm going to go off topic on tangents and I'm going to be saying stuff, but it is all interconnected. So from F22 Raptors to highlight the purchasing power of what Microsoft could have bought if they didn't buy Activision with that money, to highlighting the dangers of a monopolization of greed of consumption, the failures of a democratic capitalist state, the erosion of education, general knowledge, common sense, trust in certain systems, with the wealth inequality and other things at play. These are prevalent things to be aware of because this is what is affecting the availability and the ability for Microsoft to go through with this acquisition. Could Microsoft have pulled this off in the 90s? No. Could they have pulled this off in the early 2000s? Well, the Xbox didn't exist in the early 90s, so I guess no. But, you know what I mean? They wouldn't have been able to pull this off regardless. Could they have pulled this off in 2010? No. They couldn't have pulled this off before 2006 either. When Activision wasn't nearly as big, probably much cheaper. Where Microsoft was still much bigger, could have bought them for cheaper. They saw the potential. COD was an exclusive on the original Xbox. Going into the Xbox 360 launch, that could have made sense for them to acquire Activision early from the jump. Why didn't they? Well, because Citizens United didn't pass until, I think, later 2006. They didn't have, corporations didn't have as much freedom, control, and power to just do shit like that and protections in the eyes of the government. So, wasn't that easy back then. That's why we're seeing so many more acquisitions now post-2006-7 than we've ever seen before. It's also the name of the game. The new businesses control the IP. Don't control the, don't control the means of production as much as you control the IP and the license to use it. Whole different mentality shift in the economy. And an important one, because actually, if you're creative enough and you could create an IP and control it, you have just as much stopping power as one of these big corporations, depending on how popular that IP is, of course. Not that that's easy. Not that you won't get bought out, squashed, or, you know, fucked up over it. But I'm just saying it's more possible. Right? Because the economy back in the days, it had to be like, you had to own the means of production. You had to have an assembly field. You had to be able to produce that physical product. But now, since IP is king, you just have to have the best idea and know how to protect it. And know where it works and how to distribute it. It's not easy. It's not like it's many people are making a living off of selling IPs and ideas. But it's possible more than ever. And I think that's important to understand how... The business is changing. That is so prevalent to video games. If you do not understand why that's so important, you gotta take a step back and really think about this. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for getting off track, going off on tangents. I know that's not what you're here for. This does, this does all correlate. I just want to give you an idea of scale, some history, and give you my personal thoughts. I'm against monopolies. I'm against capitalistic greed. I'm against the erosion of the middle class. And I'm against of this wealth inequality and civil rights inequality that we see. And I am against the persistent and prevalent force of larger corporations and bigger money taking control and taking it away from the voice of the people and lining their pockets. I am against that. 
And it's going to take a few laws, it's going to take some legislation, and it's going to take awareness of the people before this starts to change. But I do think there's some hope because I think these corporations have more money and more research and more knowledge as well. And they know this can't go on forever. Gas companies know that they can't keep selling gas as much anymore. That electric cars are in, solar, alternate energy. Gas cars will be around forever, but I'm just saying... It's going to go down. We don't have that much gas. <laughs> it's not that easy. We still have so much, but it's used for other things as well. So it's like, it's not as available as it was, right? So we know it's bad for the earth, the way we use it, for the most part. Not always, but in the amount of the, the consistency and the quantity and how we use it. And so, like, people are freaking out, oh, the gas prices are up because of Trump, because of Biden, because of, because of the, this, because of Congress. No, none of them have anything to do with the gas prices. But because of inflation, because of national federal inflation rates, nope. State inflation, nope. Those play a small impact, like, um, if we're just going off the rate of inflation, gas should have been about 50 cents more than it was, you know. Two or three years ago, before COVID, 50 to 75 cents more. And then maybe with certain states and state taxes, maybe a dollar more. So for the most part, we're looking at like gas that should be between three and four bucks, four being the highest. Whereas in Cali, where it's probably one of the highest at any given point, it's anywhere between 5.5 and 7. Depending on the type and depending on when and where. Um... And I want to point this out. I noticed this literally two days ago when I was driving to work. There's like, you know, there's gas stations everywhere, right? Arco's over here. We got Shell over here. All these companies, right? They all have massively different prices in their gas. That doesn't make sense. If we're going off the logic that it's all federally state regulated because of inflation, because of the president, because of all that shit... That's, then in that regard, there's no fucking reason for that to be existing. It would mean it would have to be pretty uniform. Maybe a few cents, a few pennies difference. Hell, maybe even a quarter difference. But other than that, it can't be that drastically different in the same state. Literally a corner, uh, a block away from each other, right? But they're all different companies. Shell is way bigger of a gas company than Archon, I believe. I mean, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure. So, Shell can jack their prices up. They can take the risk if people decide not to go to them, but they can also, they're also willing to, because of brand reliability and because they've been around forever and they're so big, they're willing to take that risk that people are going to go to them for quality. Like, it makes any difference. Um, Shell is like a dollar and a half more right now. It's like a buck fifty more to go there than to almost any other gas station around in my area. That's just corporations. There's no, right? Maybe 25, 50 cents is involved. So, but, so like right now, if it was just rate of inflation, if it was just the regular trends of the economy and how things kind of ebb and flow, it should be anywhere between about 375 and four bucks at the highest. But it actually wouldn't be that right now because inflation, while national inflation is high, consumer goods inflations like gas isn't that high. So it's okay. It shouldn't actually be that big. It should probably be 325, 350, right? Barely $4 at most. And right now, I haven't seen 
a single gallon for $4 in three years. And that's because of COVID, because of uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, all of these things that scare people and that make them think it has to do with oil. Kind of does, but not really. Um, so oil com companies are like, fuck it. Let's just jack up the prices. So that's why you're seeing certain states sue these big oil companies. California is suing all of the big oil companies. Or they tried. I don't know where that went. Um, if that worked, if they're doing it, I don't, I don't remember. But they, they at least attempted. And before you get your panties in a bunch, oh, well, of course they're trying to protect the environment. No, no, no. They don't give a fuck about that in this instance. They're merely just trying to reduce these price gougings. Right? We've seen scalpers, we've seen price gougers, we've seen everything take advantage, and people don't understand how gas things work. It's The price is regulated by the companies for the most part. There is a standard baseline price, and then there are some things that are affected by inflation, state inflation, and some fees, and some extra stuff, right? So there's some baseline, right? But this extra amount of couple bucks a gallon, that's just the company saying, well, we're on our dying breath. We only got about 10 more years in this bitch before people start switching over, so we're going to just just crank it up to 11 That's what's happening. So, yeah, if you think your gas prices are affected by the president's decisions or affected by another nation's war, or you are sorely mistaken. And whoever's telling you that, <laughs> guess what? They're being paid by oil lobbyists and uh, big, big oil and all that shit to make sure you think it's for other reasons and not just because a company's like, yeah, fuck it, we'll just jack up the prices. Because that's what they're doing. That's all they're doing. It's been proven. <laughs> they've they've admitted it in numerous occasions. They've literally said we have no. There's no our, our petroleum ratio, whatever the barrels. Are, I, I don't know how it all metrically works out, but their ratio is perfectly fine. It's not that affected. Like the supply chain stuff for a while. For a while during COVID, it was affected. So they had to jack up prices because it was a little harder to get what they needed for like six months. So it should have ended like by the end of 2020. Should have had no problem. <laughs> So it has nothing to do with the president. It has nothing to do with the government, right? A little bit of inflation, right? Twenty-five, fifty cents. When that sucks, I get it. Like that's a lot for a lot of people. But I'm just saying, two to three dollars more than what we've been used to. That is because of companies. So you don't think these things matter until you realize how much they're affecting you. And the same goes for our entertainment. Entertainment is a growing sector. Video games is a part of that, and it's here to stay. Forever, video games has been on the front line towing it out and saying, hey, no, 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 we deserve to be here too. We are of entertainment. And I have talked about the value, the art, and the entertainment factor of video games to death. And I do believe video games are a great form of art and entertainment, just like film, just like music, just like dance, just like theater, just like painting, all of these things, right? It holds its place. It's vital. The entertainment sector works differently, but it's very similar in a lot of ways. And at the end of the day, some of them are just trying to make money. Right? So you can't punish. In video games, don't punish the devs. I mean, sometimes they make fuck-ups. You gotta let them know. You gotta punish the publisher. The people above them. The people that are cutting the checks and that are financing and marketing the damn game. Because they have overall power. It's the same with movies. And people don't realize this. In Hollywood, in the traditional Hollywood studio system, which not everyone abides to by. So, 
It's not always the case. But I'm talking your big movies. I'm talking Marvel. I'm talking Star Wars. I'm talking Fast X. All those things, right? The director, the writers, the actors, the crew, they're all incredible artists. They really are. When you look at their other bodies of work, you can see, like, wow, Jesus, you made this? This is incredible. How did you end up making fucking Fast and Furious? You know what I mean? They're all incredible artists. They've dedicated their life to the art of cinema and storytelling and entertaining and informing you through visual medium like film and like television. So please don't knock on them when they do something like that. I mean, sometimes they fuck up. Sure, you can say, hey, this I didn't like this. That's okay. The audience deserves to have an opinion and feedback. It only strengthens the artist if they're willing to listen. But my point is... I, I, I get so fucking frustrated when people are like, oh, well, Hollywood, they just fucking stereotype Hollywood as this big machine that knows how it's working. Hollywood is in a very, very weird place right now. It is much like every other industry. It is the corporation versus the creator, the artists. I always defend, respect, and protect the artist at my best. And I don't think... Uh, just because they're corporations, just because they're studios, I don't think they're inherently evil people there. You know, if you're a secretary there, hell, even if you're a finance officer there, you climbed the ranks, you spent your life because you dedicated your life to the art of cinema and storytelling, right? But when you're a part of that system, you are being persuaded to focus on the end, the bottom line, and the, the fiscal quarters, and the dollar. Because you have to. It's part of the main job. It's not just because they want to make money. They have to make money. You have to understand corporations, it's not like a, oh, if we lose a little bit of profit over the year, we'll be okay. People think just because they have all this money. No. It's all investors. It's shareholders. It's public interest. It's trust. And the trust is behind the dollar. So if they're able to make a dollar, turn a profit, or break even at, at the very least, they keep the trust, their profits grow, their shares grow, their investors grow, and the trust of those investors stay with them. When that trust erodes, that company could go tumbling down in such a drastic way, it would massively fuck up anything they have planned. And films and television are a fickle thing. They're expensive, they're hard to pinpoint, and you never know how successful they're really going to be because, once again, art is subjective and you never know your audience until they're watching it. Right? So it's a gamble. And you have to appreciate that studios are still willing to maintain this system of spending enormous fucking amounts of money on a gamble. So what will change this Hollywood structure to be a little more accommodating and fair to the artists? Well, one, that's why these strikes are happening. So the writers and the screen actors and other components, the people who are making the art, are getting paid and treated fairly and that their art is being protected in the process. That's vital. But beyond the contractual stuff, we have to incentivize the profit earnings of the art. Listen, if you're one of those people who walk around and complain, oh, there's no more good movies anymore, Hollywood is dry and dead, that's because you're only watching 1% of all movies available. Sorry, you are. That top 1% that most people talk about, the Marvels, the Fast and Furious, the big ones, the big money, the big marketing, all that, that's just 1% of the film and television industry that you are seeing. That is the top dollar shit on the shelf. It has more money, more power, more marketing influence, more franchisable IP, which we'll circle back around later when I get back to the Activision points, that you're seeing. So you cannot judge an entire art 
artistic industry off the merits of 1% of just what you've been seeing. And that's not just, that's not like, oh, the corporations are hiding these movies. They're in plain sight. You just choose not to watch them. Because they're not conventional. Because they're different. They're weird. They might approach a story differently. Parasite. Everything everywhere all at once. Those are bigger offbeat ones. There's so many small movies that I can't even... I can't even tell you. Like, I, I mean... Hush. That's a good one. Um... I don't know. I mean, there's so many in my head just rattling around. I can't remember the names of all of them. The Two Lovers on a Bridge, a beautiful French film from the 90s, right? Like, there's so many things, so many fucking good movies out there. And it's not to say all top 1% movies are bad either. Some of them are great, you know? And it's really top 10% of what you see. Top 1% is, is the Star Wars, Marvel's, Fast and Furious, the biggest ones. And then... Below that, there's still the big ones that you see, the marquees, the in the box office returns, right? The saws, the, the you know, the whatever. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. And so it's always unique, even if it's a franchise, even if it's an IP, even if it's an established brand name, it's always unique when the film allows the artistic and creative vision to differentiate itself and to be different. Look at Oppenheimer and look at Barbie. Regardless of how you feel about those movies, first of all, they're both really well made. They are good movies. And just because they had hundreds of millions of dollars put behind them does not change the fact of how well made they were. They are gambles. A three-hour historic autobiographical autobiographical tale of of a of a scientist of a physicist behind one of the most atrocious weapons ever designed in the face of humanity with half of it shot in black and white or like more like 30% of it is a gamble <laughs> doesn't matter if it's Christopher Nolan it's a fucking gamble you don't know how many butts and seeds you're going to get you don't know your return on your investment so as a studio that's a huge risk. And it was worth it. It paid off. It was one it is the highest grossing World War II film of all time. And it is a phenomenal movie. It's one of the best movies of the year. So it's highly deserved. And if anyone hasn't had the opportunity to see it, I highly recommend it. Even if you're not into history, even if you're not into World War II stuff, it's just good cinema. It will make you think and feel in ways you haven't in a long time. I guarantee you that. So I highly recommend it. On the flip side, you have Barbie. I didn't know much about Barbie going into it. I saw it same day. I did the Barbenheimer thing with my girlfriend. It was a great time. We saw Barbie that night and right after Oppenheimer. And I did not expect... I love Greta Gerwig. She's a phenomenal filmmaker. She's the director and the writer with Noah Baumbach as co-writer. Um, I didn't think that a movie about a fucking toy one of the most popular dolls on the face of the earth, could be one of the most heartfelt, introspective looks at humanity, <laughs> at womanhood, at the dichotomy of gender equality and relations between people. All of it. It's not pushing any agenda. It's not saying, oh, you have to... Da -da 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 -da. It, but, you know, people have this misnomer, oh, it's pushing some agenda. People boycotted it. Oh, it's, it's got pink in it. Oh, how dare they? Grow the fuck up, you pussy. <laughs> Jesus. What are you, a baby? Can't watch a movie because it's got pink in it? Are you really that 
Childish? Okay. Whatever. Each their own. It's a beautiful tale. It's about self-identity. It is about womanhood. It does have talks about gender. It has comedic moments. It has heartfelt moments. But it's ultimately about finding yourself, about figuring out who you are. It's a coming-of-age story like, like no other. It's incredibly done in every capacity. It's a beautiful film. I never thought I'd say that for a Barbie movie, but it is. And that's because the studio and Mattel and everybody behind it allowed Greta Gerwig to imprint her voice. And she has a very unique way of shooting films. She has a very unique way of telling stories, a very beautiful and poignant way of highlighting existentialism, introspective uh, philosophical quandaries, as well as other things. In fact, there's a lot of similarities between Oppenheimer and Barbie and how they figure out themselves with the world around them and how they interact with it. It's fascinating. And it was just by luck that they were releasing on the same day. It was the film folks that saw this. Not It, was not in, I, it wasn't intentional. There's no sense that that would be intentional. You wouldn't want two of the biggest directors with some of the most unique voices putting their money behind their next big feature to be releasing on the same day from two different studios. That's bonkers. That was not intentional. That was just because the slate lined it up lined up that way. It sometimes does. It's just they figure out the most optimal time for that type of release. And they figured 721 for both of them. And so this whole Barbenheimer thing really became a thing. And it they and everyone in the film industry quickly learned how different and how unique it is and, and new ways of engaging an audience than ever before. It's not just like, oh, you want to see this movie? Oh, you know this franchise. Oh, you know this director. That's part of it, obviously. But it's also, it's like, it's like combining chocolate and peanut butter. No one would have thunk how fucking brilliant that was until it happened. And then it did, and boom, Reese's. So it's just like, wow. Such diametrically opposed themes, tones, perspectives, and audience members. You don't, don't bring children to Oppenheimer. You bring children to Barbie. But Barbie isn't a kid's movie. Barbie is... Barbie can make a grown man cry... And grown women cry, of course, as well as Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer can also make a grown man and woman cry. So they both hit every emotional spectrum known to man. It's fucking incredible. And so when you see both of them back to back, it's a fucking emotional roller coaster, but it's worth it because it's such an incredible experience to have. And they're both just incredible films in of themselves, regardless if you watch them back to back. That doesn't really matter. That was just kind of a fun little event. But because of that, because they're both feeding off each other, both of these movies are some of the highest grossing films in recent history, as well as not just this year, but in a long time. They piggybacked off each other's success. Success. So, anyway, a long, long tangent, but I wanted to just kind of highlight, you know, the differential points of capitalist consumerism, artistic endeavors, the battle between things. Had to throw my two cents in about Hollywood while I was at it. So once again, I apologize for going off on such a fucking tangent that has nothing to do with Activision Blizzard, but it does. Because all of these things affect exactly how we move forward and what Activision Blizzard does now. It's vital that you understand how interconnected some of these things really are. It's not some corporate conspiracy. It's not one man behind a chair saying, oh, I'm in It's just patterns. People are social beings. We run off patterns and consistencies. So 
if something is supporting a consistent pattern, guess what? It's going to be repeated. That's how this works. And so when conspiracy theorists are like, oh, you notice a pattern. It's like, yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. That's how we're physiologically hardwired to process information. So noticing a pattern is nothing. That's just life. <laughs> and if we're all humans and we're all creating stuff, other than the aliens, God bless them. If we're all humans, we're all creating stuff, then guess what? Everything's going to have a pattern to it. That doesn't mean it's intentional. <laughs> it just sometimes is. It's a quinkadink. Deal with it. Part of the unknown, huh? You're getting the philo philosophical side today, I guess. If you're still here, thank you. <laughs> Good job. I don't know how easy this is to get through or listen to, but hopefully it makes sense. Hopefully it's interconnecting. Hopefully it's somewhat entertaining. And I hope that I'm teaching you something. Because I do know some of this shit pretty well. I've been observing it for years. It's kind of part of my job being a filmmaker. Because it's not just film. It's not just music. It's all of entertainment. Because they all have different ways of affecting you. And me. Because I love consuming it. So it's important how we understand how these things influence our decision. What influences us as consumers for the buying power? What influences a corporation to move in on the largest acquisition ever? Enough that could buy all of the military's most advanced fighter jets. What systems and things at place have to either fail or, or erode or be there to allow some of these things to happen that cause a chain reaction of a historical event in the entertainment business sector? So I wanted to talk about this to give you an idea of the scale because I don't think it's going to be covered enough in popular media. And that's okay. But I don't think a lot of people are going to reinforce how big of a deal this really is and how interconnected through patterns and merely patterns alone all of this can be. So thanks for getting through that with me. Let's talk more about specifics with what comes next because that's where things get interesting in my opinion. Here we go. Alright, so we've talked about the deal, the acquisition, the general stuff. I have so many podcasts on the specifics and the nitty-gritty, which is why I feel more comfortable going off on tangents and connecting the larger themes at play, because this is what we can use to infer where we go from here. Because, like I said, the news, the new thing that you're learning in, spe in specificity to the Activision uh, a acquisition is that it went through today. And it's huge. And the past hour and a half, I've been trying to very, very clearly hammer home how big in scale and how interconnected all this is and why I think it's so important for all of us to understand. Whether you're an artist, whether you're part of the industry, whether you are a consumer. And I wanted to highlight factors and elements at play in every area of all three of those types of people so you understand how it all feeds and plays off each other and what influences what in a chain reaction that leads to such a monumental business and entertainment shift for the future of all these industries. Because it matters greatly. When a company has the buying power to buy the most advanced fighter fleet in the world and they choose to buy a video game publishing company over that, right? Obviously, they're not a military complex, but I'm just saying they have that buying power and they bought a fucking video game company. I wanted to highlight that first, and then I wanted to talk about 
what it took to get to this point, some of the erosion and the failed points of capitalistic democratic society, and why I think it's not good to have a monopolization, it's not good to have creative consolidation, and why I'm against it as a general principle. And I will stay against it, because it squashes, reduces, and kills the creativity and the individuality of the artist and the ability for them to create inform, entertain, and produce the art that they see fit, and art is what makes this world valuable to me and to so many others, and if you don't understand that, then you're going to struggle, because everything has an artistic point of it in it, from the labels, the logos, the paintings, the pictures, the photographs, the videos, the editing, the music, and then in video games, all of that's combined. In film, a lot of that's combined. You know what I mean? It's very complex, but art is within a lot of things in our world that we come to love. And art is powerful because art transcends physicality and allows you to emotionally understand something in ways that you may have never been able to unlock before. It's its own language. And so I wanted to highlight that and I wanted to remind people that corporations are capitalizing on that. And because of some of the failed states of capitalism, because of the erosion of education, because of the allowance of counter-knowledge, misinformation, and conspiracy theories running amok and influencing people to think that everything's out to get them, therefore they can't trust stuff. So then when they don't trust stuff, they don't vote, or they just don't invest their time or energy because they're so fatigued. It's hard to make money. It's hard to focus on these things when you're just being oppressed by them, and that's kind of why it's happening. Because the less aware you are, the easier you are to fork out your money to the corporations or the easier you are to um, persuade or coerce into doing something that may ultimately be against your best interests in the future. And I'm not blaming the people. We have been used and abused. I'm in that boat too. Don't get me wrong. I am. I'm no different from you. I'm just highlighting it from an objective viewpoint. We have been used and abused because so many things have taken advantage of us. Some of it is just the circumstances. Some of it is just happenstance. It happens, right? Some of it is over time being weared down, right? With the wealth inequality, the erosion of education, all those things like I've been talking about. That is slow, progressively, over time, will erode and weigh on the people. And when the people have less money in their pockets and less knowledge in their brain, they have less ways to voice their their point to change the nation the way they see fit and they have less of a voice a power and an influence on what they buy and that's where corporations come in couple that with the legislation they're able to pass after filing down the will of the people <laughs> i can't tell you how many of my friends and family and so many colleagues of mine say does it matter does it matter what we do? Does it matter how we say? It matters. It matters greatly. It may not feel like it matters, and at times maybe it doesn't, sure. But for the most part, overall, it always matters. We know this, historically speaking. When a nation stays silent to things that they don't particularly agree with, it doesn't matter. My policy is, if I, don't, if I see something, I don't believe in it, I don't think it's right, or if I think it's doing ill will onto the well-being of others, I will at least speak on it. 
I will stand up for it in my best ability at that time, regardless of the consequences. It's not some self-martyrdom thing. It's nothing like that. It's just because I know how shit works in history. When you stay silent, people get hurt who don't deserve to be hurt. We all have different ways of voicing ourselves, and I'm not saying you have to go out and vote. That is a very effective way of getting things changed. So filing down your will to be able to think that that's valuable is the end goal for so many, and especially in gerrymandering. If you don't go and vote, guess what? <laughs> it takes a vote away from whoever's trying to get you to vote for them, but it also takes a vote away from their opponent, so it doesn't matter. It's a neutral cancellation. It's less of a risk for them. Right? So people don't think voting is important, but it absolutely is. It changes the courses of history. It's not just voting. That's just one component. That's a very small component. It's about voicing yourself in an appropriate, healthy, and respectful manner, but voicing yourself at the, at the least. Artists are able to do it through their medium of art through their paintings, through their films, through their music. Sometimes they do it well, sometimes they don't do it well, sometimes they hit the right demographic, sometimes they don't. But at the very least, you always, always need to respect the artist for trying. Because they have the balls to do so, they put it in their art, they publish it to the world, and they risk everything doing so. And when I say voice, and when I say speak up, I don't mean if you're a closeted racist, that you get to say horrible things about people because you disagree with their way of living. Shut the fuck up and sit down. I'm talking about people who deserve to voice their opinion because they feel like something needs to change for the betterment of themselves and other people. Not at the behest of harming someone else's well-being. <laughs> Obviously. But I feel like I have to point that out nowadays. So if you're tired of working... A nine to five, five days a week, because it kind of feels weird that we have to work five of the seven days a week. When it ultimately will make no difference. Advocate for a four day week work, work week. Other nations are doing it. Will it work? Maybe not. Is it something you want? Maybe not. I don't know, but I'm just saying if you want that. You have to at least try. I, I, my, my least favorite people are the people who complain about everything but have never stood up to do anything about it. Ever. In any capacity. I'm not saying you gotta run up to Congress and, and whip your dick out and scream at them for hurting the people. I, I, I don't mean you gotta do that. I mean, if you want to, knock yourself out. I wouldn't risk it. But I'm just saying whatever means you find most effective for communicating, even if that's just talking to a loved one that you care about or a friend, Dialogue is the essential count is the essential component to a democracy, and everything that is going on right now is eroding our ability to to have a dialogue. We cannot talk about these things because it's too taboo. It's too uncomfortable. People are too stuck in their ways. We can't talk about these things because they're too afraid of losing their job. They're too afraid of losing their money. They're too afraid of losing their political identity or their personal uh, uh, conviction. And I don't blame them. 
when we're being filed down, when we can't make the money we should and that we deserve to make, when we can't voice what we feel we should be able to voice, and when so many things are moving beyond and past us because they're so much bigger, it's hard to feel like you're validated in this world. But remember, everyone who's at the top had to start at the bottom. And anybody has to, who, who's at the top has to fight their way to climb there and to stay there. So some people don't want to do that. That's okay. You don't have to be at the top of the world. But that doesn't mean you have to stay silent when you disagree with something. Nor does that mean you have to stay silent when you personally feel like you can make a change. Even if it's within yourself. So there's my message for the day. I feel like that's more prevalent when we're talking about a big corporation acquiring another big corporation because this is huge. $70 billion. Let's talk about Activision now. I'm so sorry. You heard the whole philosophical political rant of Psy. But I think it was important. I'm not taking sides. And let's, I'm, I mean, I'm just against the, the abuse of the people. I think all Americans and all people on earth deserve to be treated well. That's it. Respect them. Treat them well, pay them well, make sure their necessities are met. There's no reason why they can't be. We have enough resources to go around. We really do. Um, if people want to practice that religion, if people want to act that way, if people want to do this and do that, that is within their right. We should always protect and validate that. Obviously, if it's something that is harming or taking away the liberty, the rights, the well-being, or the safety of someone else, that's when we say, okay, you're, you can't do that. <laughs> Right? But other than that, even if someone doesn't agree with the way you live, the beauty about being an American is we all respect it because we respect each other, or at least we should. And I know it feels like we've lost that, but I don't think we have. I think if this nation went to war, I think if a soldier went off to seas, even if they're diametrically opposed to the way I live my life, they will die for me, and quite frankly, I will forever respect them for that. I'm not a soldier. I'm not somebody who would go and do that. I'd risk my career, I'd risk my, my, my comforts to produce art that will inform, entertain, educate, and, and change the perspective and the mind of people because I think that's a more effective way of getting things done. I think going overseas and shooting a few people is also pretty effective, but it is only so effective. Knowledge is the most powerful thing, and information is key. So if you could spread that in a way that allows, in a good way, in a positive way, that can allow people to better themselves and better their surroundings, then I think that's what it's all about. That's why I'm comfortable talking about these things in a podcast. A lot of people, when talking about video games, would be afraid to bring up these topics. But they all affect things. It's all important. Just because it feels so far off and I feel a little bad for going on off on such a tangent because it is labeled to be about Activision Blizzard. It still is. But these things affect everything. And I'm picking very, very, very specific instances that directly affect this Activision Microsoft acquisition. So it's not just that at random. I mean, kind of is because I'm coming off from the top of my head. But it really is correlating with these things because... All of the things I've mentioned are the only reason why this acquisition was able to go through in this day and age. Okay, anyway. They released a, they released a song. That's why I sang Oh, What a Beautiful Morning in the very opening of the podcast. They released a song. 
that uh, that was that from Oklahoma. This is why I started with that. I don't even know if I explained that. Alrighty. Let's talk about where we go now. So, with Activision Blizzard being acquired finally, 25 long months. It's, uh, it's crazy. I'm thinking about if I rearrange some of these segments, which I might. So, I might just start with a little more about Activision Blizzard, at least for 10-15 minutes before I get into all this stuff. So I might record a new segment and put it in front and put a disclaimer. Just to be fair to the audience, to you guys, though, it flows naturally. And I really do think my points are important and valid. And I don't want people to just skip through just because it has to do with other things. But I might just throw a little heads up like, hey, I'll talk more about Activision on the front end and on the back end. Because that middle section is a long section that has nothing to do with the specificity of what's going on. So I apologize for that. Anyway, so I'll probably add that after this segment. So here we go. Um, with the future of Activision Blizzard. They've announced that this is all going on. Um, they had an awesome, kind of funny trailer. Uh, so now where do we go from here? Well, Xbox now has Call of Duty and all these things. It's nuts to think about. I mean, I remember just almost like two years ago hearing this news. I was like blown away. I'm like, oh my God. And I thought initially that means they acquired it quietly. They were doing that. And then I realized, no, this is the start of the process. And it got delayed and it got delayed and it got delayed and it got delayed. It was supposed to happen within 18 months-ish. This was in January, I think of, holy fuck, what year was that? 21? No. 22. Like January 19th, 2022 is when they announced all this. No, wait. It said somewhere I read 25 months. Ah, fuck. I don't even remember. It's been so long. So long. <laughs> it got so long to the point where this month I forgot that the final deal was going through, right? I got hyped up in July, uh, August, uh, a few months ago when it was like, well, it passed the FTC because that was the big question. So when they announced it, let me, let me just go back in time. I'm just going to reminisce here, all right? So let me get into the reminiscing. Let me, let me do a new segment. Reminiscing. Here we go. <laughs> Apologies. All righty. So let's uh, take a trip down memory lane. What a great song. Nas on Illmatic. Anyway, okay. Um, I went back at a little preface segment. So if everything feels weird and janky, that's by accident. I apologize. <laughs> All right, so here's the dealio. It started way back when. It was January... Yeah, January 2022. Just then. So it wasn't 20. It hasn't been 25 months. It's been like 19 to 20 months. But anyway, um, it was January like 19th, 2022. Start of the new year. This is like a week after my girlfriend uh, went back to her home. We're long distance right now. It's not fun, but we make it work. And, and, uh, for those of you who are in a long-distance relationship, don't give up. It's perfectly feasible. We've been long-distance for three and a half years. Four. 
about to, about to be four years, out of the six and a half years we've been together. It's completely feasible. Anyway, um, so she was going back home. And, like, whenever she does, it's always a time where I get a little sad, you know? I'm like, ah, all right. Another three to six months, I gotta wait until I can see her again. You know? I've got a week or two left of winter break. Um, you know, life is, uh, life's okay. It's not bad. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've been very fortunate in life. But, you know, to some extent it's like, ah, damn it, here we go again. You know, back to the grind sort of mentality. And so that's what it was. And I was kind of, I wasn't depressed. I was just, you know, okay. Two, two to three weeks left of this motherfucking break and then I'm back at it, right? Back to college, back to the semester. It all starts back up again. I think it was like on a Monday or something where they announced it. And, and it was exciting. It's thrilling. I was like, holy shit. I remember I wrote it down. I journal daily. It's very healthy for you. Highly recommend it. Um, I remember I wrote it down in my journal. I'm like, oh my God, this is huge. And I, wa- I went over to my dad. I'm like, dad, listen, I know you don't. I know you're not a gamer. This podcast has spared my parents, my girlfriends, some of my closest friends, so much autistic info dumping. They they have they have no fucking clue how many podcast episodes and how long they they don't listen. I don't want them to, to be honest with you, because they still hear it from me in some way or another while I'm incubating these thoughts over time. They're hearing the pre-rendering of these thoughts before I feel comfortable enough to just off the top spew it. I mean, sometimes it's completely sporadic. Like, today's been just completely sporadic. But you know what I mean? Like, they hear it in one way or another because it affects me. It's just shit that's on my mind. So if someone comes up to me and says, so what's on your mind? It could be a whole fuckery of topics. And usually, some way or another, it has to relate with entertainment media, music, film, or video games. Because not only are two of those my passion that I love to create, but three of them are just things I love in general to consume. So, it happens. Anyway, they have no idea how many hours, how much energy, and how much confusion I have spared them by allowing this to be my offshoot for that energy. (laughs) Oh, God almighty. Anyway, so here's the thing. So I told my dad about it. I'm like, Dad, this is, this is massive. I know you're not a gamer. I know you haven't gamed since the 80s, but you know of Activision. They did Pitfall, for fuck's sake. Like, you know them. You know, he knew Call of Duty, he knew all that stuff. He didn't play those things, right? He he stopped gaming after, uh, I think, the 64, the, the Nintendo 64. But, but oh well, I don't care about that. He taught me how to game. He taught me the classics and all that. He got me into video games, so, yeah, I don't mind. But, you yeah, know, they're used to it. They, they, you know, it's always great when friends or family care about what you care about because they care about you, right? Now, I try not to abuse that <laughs> because... I care about a lot of things, but I care in great depths about the things, you know. So, it is what it is. So, I remember I was just trying to explain to him, I'm like, this is huge. And, like, he's not an idiot. He understands how big 70 billion fucking dollars is. But I think in the past 10, 15, 20 months... However fucking long it's been. 
that, you know, it, it's one of those things that we kind of have forgotten as we've been waiting to hear, is it official? Is it official? Has Microsoft pulled it through? We kind of forgot in the entire process of this shit going on that, um, it's huge. And so hopefully what I've explained previously, it will really, really just solidify the scale of what the fuck this really is. Seventy billion dollars for one company. So what does this leave, what does this tell for us gamers? Well, first and foremost, there's a few things, right? And this was brought up in the hearings. I've talked about this numerous times, right? Which is why I was so comfortable going off on a tangent, because I've covered all this shit to death. But I'm fine to go back in and really think about it as I look back on it now that it's done. First of all, here's something I've always found really funny. Like these huge acquisitions, a year and a half it has taken them for, for them to battle. And they, they've done things. They've been doing things in the background. Activision turned on their servers again because Microsoft told them to do it. Right? I mean, these things, like you can go and play the old CODs now. Right? That's Microsoft gearing up for a COD to be back to pat servers to be online and for it to be on Game Pass at some point. So to me, here's the thing. I don't know how these work, and I know you can't touch the company and their assets if you do not own them. Right? It's just even in the process of figuring it out, you're having deals, it's all but certain, but it's not official. So you can't go in and start porting the games onto Xbox servers, and you can't get... The You can't pull and redact the licensing. You can't finesse it and get it ready to put on Game Pass. And there's a lot of logistics to figuring out how to get all those games on Game Pass. Not infrastructure-wise. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I'm not a fucking engineer. But maybe. Maybe software. Maybe hardware. It's a lot. I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is actually going to be how do you integrate... How do you bring all these back online? How do you log it? How do you make sure it's all accurate? Make sure there's no bugs, no technical hiccups. You know, that's a smooth transition of all these titles. You know, you put it on the back combat servers. You make it so people aren't losing their progress, right? All that. And then, also, what people don't consider is just because you can put it on Game Pass does not mean you will always want to immediately. Because you have to phase it in, right? Now, it would be dope if every Activision title of recent, everything from 2022 and down, because obviously they can't do 2023 yet, we're still in that year, but everything from 2022 down was right day one, like today, that would be so cool if like today they're like, oh yeah, we got it, oh also, <laughs> all those games are on Game Pass now, you can go play them, here's the problem with that, first of all, that would have been fucking dope, but also, um, it's not feasible, they just acquired it, so that means they can start the process of the transition. The transition Now, they've got a lot of things already figured out, so it won't take too long, but it'll still take some time. This is the same thing that happened with Bethesda. Soon as they acquired Bethesda, which was a private company, so it didn't take as long, they announced, when they announced that they acquired Bethesda, they acquired Bethesda. It was not like, we're starting the process, because Bethesda was not a public company. It didn't have investors and things like that. It was its own self. Well, Zenimax. They bought Zenimax Corporation. Uh, they, they, you know, it was all self-contained. So it was quite not simple, not easy. They said they were in talks for three years with Bethesda, figuring out how to make that right. That's nuts, right? 
that really cool logo graphic banner with all the big franchises that Bethesda had, now part of the Xbox family, all that shit, right? That was cool. And they just announced it, and it was there. We're like, and that was a shock. That was like a seven or nine billion dollars. I forget the number. Nine billion dollars, which, mind you, that's still a fuck ton. That's a lot. And this wasn't like Bethesda was losing stock or value. This was Bethesda, not at their peak per se, but they were fine. They weren't doing too bad. Um, remember, Activision, the reason why they were able to be bought, and I'm not a financier, I'm not an acquisitions expert, but the reason they were able to be bought is because they're a public trading company. So their stock plummeted so dramatically that at the point of, of the purchase offering, Right, once you make the purchase offer for that amount, you're making it locked in at the time of their valued stock. And the only approval, and that can and it can be done in a day, the only approval that needs to be done is the company head and the heads and execs of the company buying and the heads and the execs of the company being bought have to agree to a con to a set term of uh, the pay, of the conditions, of the contractual agreements, and of how they move forward as an operation to to push further to this acquisition, right? And they figured all that out behind the doors, and they settled on that. So, mind you, when Microsoft bought Activision, do not be mistaken. Is that a lot? Yeah. that. But that was one of the lowest valued points of Activision's public career. So, you know, at times Activision was worth over a hundred billion dollars at its peak. So, yeah. Which is just not feasible to purchase something that big, that expensive. And it's still a nightmare to purchase a company that is that big. It is a logistical fucking nightmare. Think about it for a second. If you lived in an apartment with, like, one roommate, and all of a sudden, and that, that place might be able to fit a total of four people, and so you add one person, Bethesda, you add another person, some other studio, you're at max capacity for what you know of. You have to, so then if you get an offer to have a new tenant come in, and you, say you own the place, you're making money off it or whatever, so it's, a, it's of a benefit, you have to start figuring out a way to fit them the fuck in. And try to keep everything balanced, right? And as we know, the more you add, the more you have to balance it out. Numbers, sheer force is not precise and it is not an account of the quality and of the stability of something. Obviously, Microsoft ain't going anywhere. They got enough money to, to buy Sony if they really wanted to, though that would be a horrible investment and they wouldn't be allowed to do so. So the thing that took so long is that every regulatory body around the world had to review this because this is a global public company that is just being bought. And part of this process is you have to get approval from the government of each body that, that this thing, uh, you know, boosts their economy. So when it boosts the country's economy, you have to analyze that and you have to get approval from that government and from every shareholder not every shareholder it's kind of a general group but every main person with a high percentage value uh, of ownership in the company 
which was mostly talked about when they before they announced that they were pursuing this. So what was different was with Bethesda, it was a private company. It was closed doors. It wasn't public hearing. They wasn't needing global authority. That's not to say that Bethesda doesn't have global appeal and isn't fucking huge around the world. They are. They are massive. It just they're not a public trade publicly traded company, right? They're privately owned, so if they get bought, it's just between the companies. There's no. I mean, there are still regulatory processes in play to make sure it's safe, it's legal, to make sure that it's not killing competition. But it's a very, very easy-going thing because they're just not as big of a company. They don't have as many things. Hence why there are like seven to nine billion. Hence why Activision is a ten times larger acquisition. And mind you, Microsoft's already fucking huge in their gaming division. They have too much. So, as a consumer, am I happy? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm getting Activision Blizzard King stuff now, as a first party. In the history of video games, Activision has been there since the 80s, folks. Since the 80s. And they've been on top of the world since the 80s. They've bought other companies. They've never been bought. That's insane. This lends to this entire thing. There's this, there's this, you know, dialogue going on in the gaming spheres where people are like, well, you can't just buy your way to the top. The fuck you can't. Remember, Microsoft is a corporation. Their goal is to make money. Xbox is the subsidiary branch of Microsoft that is in charge of gaming and is the benefic beneficiary of Activision's purchase, right? Xbox's goal is twofold. It is to make quality games and products and services and by virtue of doing so to make money. But they're a company. They have to make money. They have to make a shit ton of money to stay afloat being that big of a company. It's a stress, it's a high-pressure, high-stress cooking scenario. Even if, so, and, and I've read this in some of my books, game devs are okay. I mean, if they're personally not objecting and ethically and morally not, ob don't object working for a big publisher or a big company, they love that because what it affords them is resources and marketability to push their art. That's why artists go to studios. That's why you get so much more fucking money than you could possibly do by yourself. It doesn't matter how skilled or how good you are. If you're that skilled and that good and you apply it in the right place that has more money than God himself and they want to invest in you, you have so many more resources, more time, more money, more energy, more people, right? That doesn't always bode well for the creative process. That actually might be too overwhelming. It might be too high of expectations. It might be an overcalculation from the company, right? There's other factors at play, so it doesn't inherently mean it's a quality product, but it gives us as artists, the creators, way more wiggle room. If I'm making a film and I have to crowdsource and fund it, which I'll have to do, you know, and make low-budget films, that, that puts me in a box. I can only do so much. Now, I'm okay with that. I love to make films, and I kind of like the challenge of the puzzle, the challenge, how do I make what I want to make of quality while keeping on time and on budget and respecting everyone in the process. It is a balancing act. That's what directing is. It's an incredibly difficult feat. 
And it is still that difficult, even when you have a $100 million budget. The only difference is your film is going to look sound and behave way better. You just have the money and energy and time to be able to invest in it. You have more importance, and you also have more market. So more people are guaranteed to see it. I think that's the bigger thing that artists really are appealed to. It's a bigger, it's more in a, it's a bigger sandbox with more toys in the sandbox to play with in the creation process. And it's more people who are going to see your creation around the sandbox. That's what matters. That's why we go to these big entities. Because they have the money. And a lot of them are kind of like fire and forget. They'll throw the money and then they'll just wait for the report. Some of them are hands-on. It just depends on the company. We have learned that Microsoft is quite hands-off. They allow the teams that they've acquired, they allow them to work independently. They have their own heads, their own hierarchies. And yeah, while well, they still all report to Phil Spencer, the head of Microsoft Gaming, which is now what it's called, and, you know, Xbox and all that, while well, they still report to that, you know, there's so many companies, there's so many subdivisions now within Microsoft's first-party portfolio that they have to break it up like military ricks. That makes sense, right? That's what happens when you got multiple high-quality studios. And remember, some of these studios have multiple divisions within their game dev studios. So, like, um, Blizzard. Blizzard is massive. Blizzard is not just one dev studio. It is. It is one parent dev studio. But they have, like, eight different locations around the world. They have, like, 2,000 or 3,000 employees. They're massive. <laughs> they're bigger than most dev studios. And they're under Activision. Activision has like 15 game dev studios under them. So, and that includes Blizzard and King. So, when, when Microsoft is acquiring Activision, they're acquiring one parent company that has 15 other, or like 12 or 50, I don't remember the exact number, but a shit ton of dev studios and supporting studios. Okay, let me, let me run it down for you. Microsoft now owns Treyarch, Infinity Ward, Sledgehammer Games, High Moon Studios, Blizzard, and all the variants of Blizzard, King, and a shit ton of others I don't even know the names of. Bob's Toys and weird shit like that. All either supportive, Raven Software, they own all of them now. All of them. And here's the thing. Leadership is going to change by the end of the year once they transition things over. So Sledgehammer may not be making God games anymore. I hope to God they never make a God game again. Um, they might give someone else a stab at God. This also means 343, Halo, uh, id Tech, Doom, and Wolfenstein. Uh, well, Machine Games is the new Wolfenstein. But anyway, id Tech, Doom, Halo, 343, originally Bungie. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, fucking either Infinity Ward or Treyarch with COD. They're the main daddies of COD, you know. All three of them are now under the same company. Empathesda. There is more high-quality AAA franchise studios and IPs and some of the greatest developers in the world under them. It's not to say there aren't a bajillion others. So what's this pose? This is a huge acquisition. And with that, it's like, okay, what goes first party? What's exclusive now? What's exclusive to Xbox and PC and Xbox cloud services as opposed to what's third party? Because Activision 
Blizzard was one of the largest and most popular third-party exclusive uh, third-party titles, so there's no exclusive thing going on. They would, you you know, they make a game, it's available as long as the hardware can boot it. So that's changing. Some of it will continue to stay that way, of course. The old CODs, things like that, right? The old Diablos. New games going forward, and though they have to legally follow through on all the contractual agreements. So up until 2027, PlayStation is safe from having any of the existing contracts voided up until, I believe, 2027, which, when you think of it, is not a lot of time. Yeah, three years. A lot can happen in three years. Three years ago, COVID happened, sure. But I'm just saying that, like, that's not a lot of time. So... Nintendo, NVIDIA, and a couple other companies signed a 10-year agreement for all Activision games to be available on their platforms going forward. Sony resisted that on Microsoft's initial offering. They said, no, we don't need you, da-da-da-da-da. Because Sony, and this was shown in those FTC transcripts and unredacted stuff, Sony thought Microsoft was saying just for Call of Duty. Now, Call of Duty was the big name, of course, and that's the big money printer for all these companies, and obviously they want to lock in. Nintendo wants back in in that pot. NVIDIA's trying to grow with their cloud infrastructure. We'll see how that goes. All these other things, right? So they all signed on. They're like, fuck yeah, 10 years secured... What they were signing on to was not just COD, it was all future Activision, uh, well, Activision Blizzard games um, that aren't original or new IP, I, I guess, I would say. I mean, like, all franchisable stuff. Things that they were preparing and planning and hoping that they would have for the next 10 years. That secures them into the next console cycle, folks. That's a big fucking deal. Because when a huge acquisition like this happens and you're making hardware... And it happens to a to one of the strongest, largest publishers that no one thought could ever be bought because they're the top of the food chain. They're the apex predators as well. Makes you think that like, okay, well now, fuck, one of our consistent money makers is about to go into the hands of another company and they can change everything. And so you would leverage these court hearings and Microsoft had to compromise Obviously, as a company, you wouldn't want to give away this much this early, right? But Microsoft had to compromise because they needed to get this deal through. It's a bigger investment and a bigger deal for them to get the deal than it is to make a 10-year contractual agreement, seven-year doesn't matter. They're playing long, long term. They are not playing just for the next 10 years. They are thinking about the next 50, Okay. You don't buy a company for $70 billion without plans to do something with it for the next at least 25 fucking years. You know what I mean? So 10 years is just them getting started with how... Remember, it takes... Keep in mind, folks, it takes anywhere between 6 to 10 years now to make a high-quality AAA game from start to finish to post-launch. It could take that long. This whole idea of a three- to four-year cycle is I want people to get rid of that. Games are more complicated than ever, and we expect more from them. We have to give these AAA dev times six to ten years. You know, So eight is like a kind of sweet spot, eight years. So if Infinity Ward and Treyarch paired and took a break from making CODs and they handed it over to some other studio, which may not be good, I don't know, but if they wanted to take a break and they wanted to launch an entirely new IP building off the, the skeleton of COD, 
that might take a decade. And guess what? That's a new IP 10 years later. That will be an exclusive. You know what I mean? So it's stuff like that. Game development is not a quick thing. So when you acquire these studios, first of all, you have to finish and help them follow through with projects they may have started that the company didn't know. Now, they do an in-depth company review to see what's going on so they know if it's a healthy company to buy, obviously. It's like livestock. You don't buy livestock if it's sick and you have to do like a health inspection. Same with a house. You have to do a property inspection before you go through with it a couple times to make sure everything's checked out the way it should be, right? Same idea. You have to do a company um, inspection to make sure all projects and portfolio, all that's healthy and strong and suitable. And some, and a lot of these times when acquisitions happen, projects get canceled, especially projects that are not very far off the ground. And it's a shame. People get fired. People get let go. People get transferred to studios. Lives are uprooted. Wow, I didn't mean to whistle there. Lives are uprooted. And it's not a fun process. It's a transition. It's like moving. It sucks. And I feel bad for everybody under the thumb. However, to the benefit of this specific scenario with this acquisition, to be fair, they have had a year and a half to mentally, emotionally prepare for this. That's kind of nice. You know, it's not like just some internal memo and then the next day, it's not like an internal memo and then a month later you see the announcement publicly and then, oh, you know, now you really got to figure out where you go next as a dev. And we've talked about how volatile the gaming industry is as a person, if you're, you know, an uh, employer, or I'm sorry, an employee there. So kudos to them for navigating it. But my point is, at least, you know, I, I'd like to think it, it's, I hope it's a, as healthy and as good of a transition as it can be. It's always ugly. It's always ugly for the people who, who do get axed, who do have to move on. You know, it's not an easy thing. But I will say, having a year and a half... That's a good amount of fucking time to figure out where you go if you think you're going to get axed or, or, you know, just to prepare yourself. That's a lot of time. That's more time than most people get if you're there, if you're like a big wig there. But the, the industry is so volatile. You could have been fired or left or jumped ship or jumped on a new project or lost funding for your project or whatever within three months regardless of the looming acquisition. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's wild. So a lot of people like buying things don't doesn't matter. And to an extent that's true. If you just buy something, if you just have the the firepower without actually having the people who know how to fire it, it doesn't matter. It's all for nothing. But obviously you're not buying just COD. This isn't a licensing thing. They're not just buying these franchise names. They're buying the people who created it. They're buying the developers. And say what you will, but even with its problems with the new CODs, they're well built. There's no other developer on Earth other than Respawn, hoping for a Titanfall 3, that can make such a competent multiplayer first-person shooter with as many features as it does every fucking year. Even 343 can't pull that off. They had six years to make a new Halo, and it plays great, but it's just fucking lacking of content. And it's finally coming back. It's making a comeback. Praise the Lord. But my point is, not many people could do what COD devs do. We knock them, we shit on them all the time, and it's fair because, but that's because Activision is making them do it yearly. If they just do it every two years, that would be a massive feat. I guarantee you the reason why we're getting a Modern Warfare 3, I, I guarantee you that was supposed to be an expansion. It was reskinned and they made the campaign 
because they knew they were going to be acquired. And Activision and the shareholders wanted to throw one more full feature COD, the third one, the trilogy, to wrap it up with the new reboot trilogy that they did in 2019 to, to kind of end on that. They want to do that right before they're sent out, right before those execs, you know, change seating. One more $70 Hail Mary fucking throw to milk the fuck out of it. Why do you think they use Eminem till I collapse in the multiplayer trailer? Dope trailer, by the way. Kudos to the editors of that trailer. And of course, with the goat Eminem, it's always a good time. But like, what the fuck? Obviously, nostalgia bait, right? They're going for Hail Mary. They don't give a flying fuck about the quality. They're like, we'll just put in everything that people were missing. We'll throw in all those OG maps we were going to add for free to MW2. And then, how much? 70. Fuck it. It's the last time we'll be able to make a COD before we're under Microsoft. And that's true. Not to say that the next two Call of Duties haven't already started pre-production. But, you know what I mean? Hell, the next Black Ops could be fin. Actually, let me rephrase that. The next Black Ops could be already almost done. Because they still stuck to an annual cycle, which means... Around the time the new COD's coming out, the next COD is finishing... Polishing itself. <clears throat> For main features, and then it goes into... Testing, I believe. Way, way, pretty rigorous testing. So, anyway. So, the, so when, when a game company is acquired, it's kind of like a, it's, you know what? It's kind of like when you put a new water filter in your thing, like if you have like a water filter thing, whether it's in your water bottle or your, your jug or cup or whatever. You know how, like, when you first get a new water filter and you pop it in, you have to, like, run a bunch of water through it, like, multiple times to let the charcoal, let the filtration just kind of clear through all the extra stuff and make sure you're fully good to go so it doesn't taste funky or look weird. And so it's working. Yeah, they have to do that filtration process every time a new dev is acquired because that new dev is in the middle of a game or two or more. Hopefully just one or two. Um, they're either finishing it up or they're releasing You know what I mean? So it's just like... You got to let them filtrate because they started that two or three years ago. Just because you're acquiring them now, they might be in the final lap. And some get axed, sadly, in these processes. Sometimes, you know, it just depends. depends on the situation. Depends on what Microsoft wants to do with it. And that's the thing. That's the other concern. When you have a company that consolidates its power and it takes over something... You then you lose a little more freedom in how that can be about. Now, let's be very, very clear here. Activision Blizzard was running themselves into the fucking ground. So of any company, this is kind of okay. Because there was no trajectory whatsoever where anything was ever going to get better with Activision Blizzard. They were just gonna keep printing money. And you might think the same with Microsoft. And while that is partially true, you have to consider a couple things. One, Microsoft's first-party games, which COD will be, will be on Game Pass. That changes their incentivization way more. Because for Game Pass to thrive, and I know people not Game Pass, but I really want people to understand how important it is that Game Pass actually helps the quality of games in a way that people don't realize. 
not all the time. It's not perfect. I'm not trying to meet ride Microsoft into oblivion. I'm there are problems with everything, and this isn't a perfect situation. And there are things that can come up that causes issues. So I'm not a hundred percent comfy with this. But I'm just saying to look at the positive of it with Game Pass. Game Pass is only as successful as its retention rate. Yeah, sure, new subscribers, all that. But if the subscribers stay, that's what matters. That's why they bundled Xbox Live with Game Pass. So like with the Ultimate thing. So if you're on the Ultimate, if you, you know, you're getting Xbox Live, you can play with your friends, you can play online. It's that basic servicing feature. Plus you get the games. And so it's a little more expensive, but it's honestly not that bad for the amount of games you get if you're willing to play them enough to compensate the value for your monthly or annual subscription rate. That's up to you. I make my money back tenfold having Game Pass. Even if Game Pass went up to like $30 a month, that would be ludicrous. They're not doing that anytime soon. But even if it went up to like, it's right now it's at $18, they're going to have that family plan, which allows multiple users to have their own account on Game Pass. Which is good for families. That means you only have to pay for one plan instead of individual plans. That's, that's a huge money saver. Um, so unless I get that, but for the most part, like even if it gets up to in the 20s to the 23 range, yeah, because now that they have out COD and they probably will still release COD annually, to be honest with you, or every other year, whatever, that's now at least for what we know right now, that's $70 a year just added to the value because I play COD almost every year. Even if I don't want to, because my friends get, you know, everyone gets it. Now I don't even have to pay up front for it. So, so let's say, okay, so let's say next year, they have the newest COD come out on Game Pass, day one, right? That would mean, and let's say the price stays at 18 bucks. That would mean three and a half to four-ish months of Game Pass total cost is one price of a game, right? Of a feature game. So, and that's kind of how long I play COD anyway, for a month or two, maybe three, maybe come back later. So, instead of paying $70 a year for one COD game that I play for a few months, now I'm paying $18 a month for the COD game, Diablo, da 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 a bajillion other games. All these other old CODs that I want to go back and play. All, everything. And everything else I play and all the new stuff that comes. I mean, I did, an, I did an estimate. This year alone, I've saved about $600 in games because I got to play them on Game Pass. And at least either try them or play them and really love them and whatever. Games that I know for a fact if I didn't have Game Pass, I would have bought because I really was interested in them. Six hundred fucking dollars I've saved. So, for me, it is of great value. And it still will be for the foreseeable future. And now that they're adding all of these other games, oh my god. But once again, here's the point. You can have people come back. You you have the people who play Xbox, who only have Xbox, and want to play with their friends. So they might have that version. And some still just play pay for Xbox Live. They don't bother with Game Pass. That's ludicrous to me. If you have an Xbox and that's your main console, oh my God, you're missing out if you don't have Game Pass. But anyway, that's like the whole reason to have one now. But like, 
All these things, and I get it, subscription services are scary, they can take your games away, all these things, but at least for the next few years, until the next console generation cycle, that's for sure. And you could jump ship after that, that's the thing, you can go to PlayStation, you can go, you should get a PC though, but you can go anywhere you want after that. But if you're locked in right now for this console generation, you're, you're fine if you have an Xbox, because they're not fucking around until at least the next gen console and they're just trying to strengthen this but here's the thing if it's a monthly retention rate you got to keep people coming back you know there are some people who have pc game pass they don't need xbox live they have internet pc doesn't require so they just have the pc game pass for 10 bucks a month you got to keep them coming back you got to keep you know all these things so how do you do that well if it's a new cod what do you do well you make the game good so they want to log on and play daily, weekly, monthly. That's where the money is. They have to keep you for at least four months to make the value back of if they just sold the game. Now listen, they're still just selling the game. You can still buy the game on Steam. You can still buy it on Xbox. That's, it's not like you can't do that. Like if you don't have Game Pass, you can still buy all of these games at full price. It's just there's no reason to if you can have Game Pass. Um, and if you're going to actually play them and are interested, that's the bigger thing. If you're not, if you don't give a shit about that, but they're making it hard. You know how I said years ago, it's like the only thing that Game Pass like doesn't account for are the people who just want to play two games a year with their buddies. And those two games are Madden or any other sport game. Maybe it's two sports games. That's usually understandable. It's like either 2K or Madden or FIFA, 2K or, you know, combination. Usually it's like one or two sports games and COD. That's all they have time for. That's all they care about. That's fine. They'll pay for their PlayStation Plus. They'll play, pay for their Xbox Gold. They'll pay for their online subscription. Or if they're on PC, they don't have one. But still, they'll pay for that online subscription and they'll pay for those games fully, outright, no problemo. That's fine. No problem there. That's about for going off the new the new metric of $70. If they're just buying one sports game and one COD, but usually it's two sports games and a COD throughout the year, right? Because those sports games come out at different times in the year, and so it compensates. You're looking at about 200 and... Hold on. What the fuck? Wait, where is I going with this? Yeah, $210 plus either the monthly or annual subscription rate. So tack another 60 on there for shits and giggles. So about 270 bucks. Which, to be fair, folks, that's cheap. That's cheap to have a year's worth of fun gaming time with your friends on the few games you want to play. That's a good deal. If that's what it is, that is, there's no problem. That's 200 bucks a year. That's, ah, that ain't nothing. Jesus, I'm making fucking $200 a day while I work on a film set. So that, that's nothing. If that, covers, if that covered me for the entire year of having fun gaming, oh my god, that's a great deal. Right? Here's the thing, though. With Game Pass, now, as of now, now that COD is coming to Game Pass and will be day one, not this year, but possibly next year, here's the thing. Well, they might not do day one because of the fucking agreement, that they, the compromises they had to make to acquire it, so they may not be able to do day one for like three years or something, but COD will still come within the coming months after its initial release, so if you can wait, you'll be fine. That will suck, though, because that's when most people play it, and that's when most people are leveled up, so if, if we were forced to wait, that does kind of suck. It's almost like, well, you'd still want to buy it, but, like, if you know you could get it for free in a few months, wouldn't you wait? Not a bargain, not a discount, completely free. Just a few months in, 
while it's still being played, it's still hot, there's not a new COD out. So they need to get that file down, because COD being day one on Game Pass, that will help sell units and subscriptions. They gotta get that down pat. Once they're allowed to do that, then it's over. But until then, it's just kind of finessing it. But my point is, those three games and a subscription, about 270 say, for Game Pass Ultimate right now, and I pay Ultimate, that's $18. If you're paying regular, you're like looking at 12 bucks. So there's a difference. But $18 a month, that's, uh, oh, Jesus. That's about 220 a year. That counts for Live, that counts for Game Pass Ultimate, which is, um, allows me to have PC Game Pass and on my console, allows me to have Cloud, allows me to have EA Play, which is actually another $5 servers if you wanted that. So you get all these EA games, and that's the deal you'd want because that's what gets you Madden. Not day one, but gets you a couple months in. You will get Madden. The newest Madden game, or the newest NHL game, or the newest FIFA game, you will get anywhere between two to four months after it's released. So if you could just wait, you will get all of the EA Sports games a few months after, the newest COD a few months after. And you might be like, well, what's the point? I'm paying near the same price. And then you get the thousand other games on top of that to try to play, to have fun with. Right? That's a lot. That is a massive value proposition. They've just strengthened their portfolio to a level of fuckery people aren't ready for. You know what I mean? There's no other library that is diverse enough with the enough quality for streaming games. PlayStation's on par with quality, but it doesn't have as much diversity. And it's not day one on any of them. Which is nuts. They need to fix that for the PlayStation people. I, I hate to see that. And it's way more expensive. They just announced their price hikes for PlayStation. That all their subscription services are expo exponentially more expensive. Microsoft had to do a slight price hike, you know, because they're acquiring an entirely new company, one of the largest in the world. Yeah, they're bumping up the monthly price by two bucks. You're about to get some of the largest games and most popular games ever for no additional cost. So yeah, them bumping it up two bucks is honestly not that bad. That's why they're doing it, by the way. People are like, it's for inflation. No, it's to compensate for what they're about to just get pushed through. It's insane. So what, what, what happened with Bethesda was when that went through, they got um, all those games, uh, Skyrim, all the Elder Scrolls, all the Fallouts, Wolfenstein, Evil Within, and Doom, and a bunch of others in between. We're, we're, we're talking about all of them. We're, we're, I'm not just saying Skyrim. I mean... All of the Elder, Elder Scrolls. All of the... All of them. Right? Fucking smack dab. In um, Game Pass. But it took a few weeks. I think it took like a month. Like two week, two to four weeks to get those ones in there. And then the question was, okay, well now the Bethesda's been in the middle of working on a bunch of stuff. So now what? Like, when they come out with their big next stuff, how will that do? How will they do under Microsoft's control now and not their own? Right? And, and oh, Arcane. They got Arcane. They got Dishonored. They got all those dope ones, Deathloop and all that. And it's like, okay, well, 
with Arcane at the beginning of this year, in May of this year, not beginning, this year in May, Redfall came out. That sucked donkey dick. There's a couple reasons for that. First of all, Redfall was three years into development by the time Microsoft acquired Bethesda. Not even transitioned. By the time everything transitioned over, three to six months later, you know, they're even further along in development. So that game was built. It was done. It was conceptualized. It was almost done. It was just in the polishing phase. And Microsoft is to blame for not doing a good enough quality check inspection and not saying, hey, 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 send this bitch back in the oven. We're going to delay this motherfucker for a year. Microsoft is too eager. They jumped the gun. They fucked Arcane in the process. And Arcane wasn't even good enough to know better. And it's unfortunate because Arcane's one of the most talented studios out there. And they get one bad mark on their almost flawless history. They've done the Dishonoreds. They've done the new praise. They've done... Deathloop, which is mixed, but it's still a good game. It's just, if you don't, if it's not your style of game, you know, you won't like it. It's just very opinionated and, and how people enjoy it. But it's a good game. All these games are just knockout home runs. So they have one dud, really shitty dud. And the only reason why it was so damn shitty was because, well, it was a shitty game. But the only reason why it was so substantially more scary for Microsoft and Arcane and everyone, why everyone held their breath when it came out and failed, is because, simply because, it was the signifier of how is Bethesda doing since they've been acquired by Microsoft. The question people wondered, because in 2019 is, or, uh, yeah, Late 2019 is when they were acquired. And so, it was three years from that point. They were like, surely. Surely. You know? First big title coming out of Bethesda. First new original title. Not a not an update, not a DLC, not a rework, not a, none of that. They had those in between. But the first big one. Fucked up. Big time. Mind you, it was already like 60% through production by the time they got to it. So, it would have been bad regardless, but it didn't have to be. Because Microsoft could have seen that, played it, and been like, wait, wait, wait what the fuck is this? But they were too hands off. They're changing that approach a little bit because Redfall damn near killed their potential hype train for Starfield. And Starfield saved Microsoft. I cannot stress how important this is that Starfield single-handedly punched back so fucking hard against the industry, it brought Microsoft back into the fold of take us seriously, because when we invest, we don't fuck up. And that is kind of true, except with Halo Infinite and Redfall and almost everything they've tried to invest in, other than their indie game portfolio, which is phenomenal. So the question now is, now what? Because you guys don't know how to handle the shit. Fours are gears. Those are good. You're solid. No one's worried about that. We're worried about the other shit. New IP. Like, it's too much to manage for a company, for one. There's way too much going on. But maybe that's the point. Maybe they're doing the A24 method. If you fuck up 12 times, it doesn't matter if you have seven great things come out. Just because you have a higher rate of mistakes does not mean that those mistakes have to defy you if the seven good ones are the best of the good ones, not just good, right? 
The problem is that Microsoft has been having such a dry spell of mediocrity in their first-party department, it has been staggering. The only saving grace that they have is their money, because even though money doesn't buy quality, it sure as shit does in the short term with leasing and licensing games to Game Pass. People are mistaken. People who do not have Game Pass do not realize that Game Pass, like 70% of Game Pass, is other games that are not exclusive to Xbox platforms. A lot of the games that we get on Game Pass have nothing to do with being affiliated with Microsoft Xbox. They're not first party. They have good relations. They have good contracts and deals set up so we see them year in, year out. These companies put their games on Game Pass, but a lot of games. I mean, we had Lies of P, Party Animals, Payday 3... Starfield, what else, one other one, like, all come out in the same month. Only one of those games is a first-party exclusive. And, of course, the biggest one, one that Microsoft put all of their poker chips on, and it scared the piss out of me. If you ever heard my podcast before Starfield came out, I was absolutely scared shitless that this might be the nail in the coffin for Microsoft. Not really, but it would be such a colossal step back that it could have jeopardized their deal with Activision. Activision, Because if they fucked that up so colossally, like, they spent years... See, Starfield was different. Starfield was in pre-production and thought, like, this is their Bethesda's baby that they've been forming and all that. And it was... It didn't fully start development. It was just pre, pre-production, and it was just some prototypes and conceptual when Microsoft acquired them. So Microsoft was along with the ride for like 85% of what Starfield became. Which is why Starfield is, I think, technically, probably Bethesda's best game. The gunplay, the flow, the, the all this. And mind you, Microsoft and Bethesda... Uh, they, they delayed Starfield twice. Once, very minor. The first time, though, was major. They delayed it by a year, I think. Supposed to come out in November of 2022. And they're like, nope. (laughs) Not ready. That's insane. They pushed it back a whole year, and they did that because of that shitty reception that everyone gave it. Just like Halo Infinite. Because it didn't look fun. It looked just... It looked cool in scale, but it looked janky as shit to play. It looked like a normal Bethesda game. Like, oh, God, you guys haven't done anything new. And Bethesda heard it, and thank God. They're like, oh, yeah, we'll get uh, it or Machine Games to come in and help with the gunplay and the movement. Thank you. You have all these devs. They can communicate with each other. They can help each other out. I know they're on different engines. They have different ways of working, and they have different properties and games at their disposal So and resources. So I get that it's not just that easy. They can't just copy and paste the coolest stuff. You can't make a hodgepodge mix match of a, oh, I want the shooting of motherfucking this and I want the, the movement of that. No, no, it's not that simple. But they are still under one company. You still can communicate with them. They're not barred from each other. You can still get the inference. You, get, you know what I mean? And you can get them to come in and redesign it in their way. And so they got Machine Games and id to do the combat. And thank God, because these guys did Wolfenstein and Doom and that combat is fun. Nominal. It is better than anything Bethesda themselves knows how to do. Bethesda's good at RPG and world building. They're, they suck dick at making the game a game. They would be better filmmakers and television show writers, honestly. I'm, I'm going to keep it 100. 
they suck at making a fun game. <laughs> I'm sorry. Skyrim is the exception. But, like, other than Skyrim, maybe Fallout 3, I could see you arguing that. That's it. You can't say Fallout New Vegas. That was Obsidian. Obsidian's great at making fun games and good RPGs. But Bethesda is not that good. They just get a lot of clout. But they've made two of some of the best RPG games ever. And that's kind of what put them there. But, like, that's it. To me, like, if you balance it... Again, and that's all I mean. That's Microsoft's strategy. That's A24 strategy. That's technically Bethesda's strategy. Starfield's now up there. In my opinion, you got Fallout 3, you got Skyrim, and you got Starfield. Oblivion's great. They've got some other good and great games, but those are their masterpieces. Those are their magnum opuses. Those three, respective for each franchise, I guess, uh, each original IP franchise, is massively good. Just incredibly important for their portfolio. And their credibility, right? They've done like 12 original games. So three of them are great. Are masterpieces. The others are okay, good, or shit. That's a pretty powerful thing. Because they are held to a high regard because of those three games. And I put Starfield up there because it's not as good as Skyrim. But it's it's good. I mean, it's hard to beat that. But like, it's really good. Story is solid. Quests are kind of fun. The, the atmosphere, the lore, the design... All that's good. The space combat, the, the general combat, it still has some Bethesda quirks that pisses me off to no end, but it's a good game. It's honestly the only reason why I didn't play it so much is because there's other games that I prefer to play more that came out. But everything was riding on Starfield. To project how good they will do in the future, how Microsoft can do with titles that they have more control over. And it was a, not a home run, it was a grand slam. Not only did it sell so many fucking copies and so many subscriptions, not just the Game Pass, it sold copies on Steam. It was the highest, one of the highest selling games on Steam ever. Um, it broke Baldur's Gate's current holding position. It's, I think Starfield's ending the year is the highest grossing game other than maybe Modern Warfare 3 when that comes out. Guess what? That money's going to Microsoft. Microsoft is about to have the two highest-selling games. Baldur's Gate 3 would be in third place. Oh, also, you know what one of the highest top five of the year is? Diablo 4. Do you know who owns that now? Microsoft. So you see what I mean by why they acquire what they acquire and how they do it? Activision is a money printer. It doesn't matter how good they do. It just matters that their IPs are so powerful, partially because of nostalgia. But the good thing that we can look at now is Microsoft cares about the quality of the game because they have to care about their consumer. If they stop caring about they still have to mend the shit that they've done. Right, 2013 to 2018 was a very, very rough five-year spell of mostly mediocrity. And so when you have five years of mostly mediocrity, and 2018 was just starting the comeback, they weren't even there yet, and then COVID set everything back. So to be honest with you, it's almost been 10 years. I mean, there's been moments, there's been glimmers with Game Pass, with backwards compatibility, with a handful of titles and games. But for the most part, and, and the power of consoles, so it's still a good com you know, good thing to be behind. But no, PlayStation has knocked them on their ass at every single turn. Xbox hasn't had a single fucking chance at this fight for almost 10 years. So what do you do then? You just buy the, you buy the thing that prints the money. And now that they're on the subscription model, they have to give it some care and consideration. And if they don't, they will die. And they don't have that option. They just spent $70 billion. 
Listen, they, they're still the fuckers that did the 360 not too long ago. I'm pretty sure they could figure out what the fuck they go, what they do now. They're changing their entire operation structure. So yeah, they're buying Activision for the IP, for COD, for all that, right? The money printing ability and the ability to resuscitate old franchises and IPs that people miss. And let's be fair, Activision Blizzard was just fucking themselves into the ground. These poor decisions, they made good games that played well and looked great, but they made games, they, they serviced their games in a way where they hated their community. They didn't do shit for the community. The amount of boneheaded, horribly monetized, grubby practices in the past 10 years Activision has pulled off is astounding. I don't think there's a single, even EA has to look at Activision like, yo, what the fuck are you doing? Even EA learned their lesson after Star Wars. Activision should have learned their lesson at that same time period because their COD games were doing horrible. The whole Star Wars thing was going on with EA. They should have figured out real quick, okay. I mean, they stopped doing the microtransaction stuff, but they should have figured out we should treat our customers just a little, with a little more respect. PlayStation and Xbox, say what you will about them, they do treat their customers with good respect. They give perks, they give benefits, they give bonuses, they they admit when they fuck up, they're very good at customer service and, and uh, building that brand loyalty. They're very good at that. Okay, so Nintendo, of course, as well. So Activision was lacking there. Now Activision's under Microsoft, so now Microsoft has the power of both. Lastly, I want to mention the real reason also that Microsoft was willing to buy Activision for $70 billion. Not just for the games for Xbox. I mean, obviously, that's the direct reason. It's for the cloud infrastructure. But Blizzard, uh, I'm sorry, Activision Blizzard has one of the most advanced cloud server architectures globally. Think about how many people play their games in and out concurrently at peaks and how stable everything is considering. Because it's not just the newest COD out, it's every other COD that's still online. It's everything. Diablo. It's Overwatch. It's Hearthstone. It's World of Warcraft. It's it's fucking everything. It's King. It's all the Candy Crush people logging on for Candy Crush Daily. That's nuts. COD Mobile. The amount of server stability, reliability, control, and interconnectivity that that has to have in an architectural standpoint is gobsmacking. And that's the other reason why Microsoft is paying a pretty penny. Because they're getting those damn servers. Let's get more into details of what, what we will see in the coming months. It's been a roller coaster, folks. I don't know how in just a year and a half ago I was like, wow, this isn't, you know. I thought it was going to come sooner. It kept getting delayed. The FTC hearings, the CMA hearings, all these hearings. And it's just, it's kind of just like, I'm so used to it not coming through and just waiting that I'm still in shock, you know. It doesn't feel real. It feels surreal. And that video that I saw this morning of them announcing it was dope. And I kind of I wish we could just have a couple games on Game Pass today. Just to make it feel that way. You know what I mean? But I get it. I can't yet. I really, really, really hope. I, I've, I said this uh, during my Cold War. COD Cold War. I have, a, I have an episode. I have a couple episodes on COD Zombies. And one of my episodes talks about what I think the next COD Zombies should really be other than like the next iterations that are tied to the main COD games. I think we should have a standalone COD game. But I don't think it should just be a new standalone COD game. No, 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 no. It should be the Master Chief Collection equivalent of COD Zombies. It would be great if you could do that for COD, but that's a way, 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 way more complicated task. So let's keep it simple and let's just do it with Zombies. 
every Call of Duty Zombies map mode feature all in one with longer, larger, overarching progression systems that you can do and with two ways of playing each game. The original, the classic way, just remastered with better graphics, better lighting, and that's it. No gameplay mechanic changes. Nothing. Just the same exact way. So you just want to do nostalgia. And it still gives you like little points and stuff to your overall character in this new package. Right? A progression tier system. I don't know how that would affect in-game or if it's just cosmetics or emblems or whatever. Make it fully cross-play, fully cross-progression on the new and updated servers so everything's stable, better netcode, no connection issues, no turned off servers, no glitches, none of that, right? So there's that. And then, you know, it comes on Game Pass, and then you allow a few new maps, a few new modes to entice people who aren't really worried about the nostalgia bait who want to come through. But what does this do for people? Well, for one, this makes it so you don't have to download all your favorite CODs for their zombies. And you could still do that. It'll be back compatible. It'll be on Game Pass. You could do that individually, just like you could do with Halo. But this is just all of it in one. And you could choose which ones you want. You could choose which maps. And, of course, compress it. Make it so it's, it's going to be a huge game, but make it a little manageable. Like Master Chief Collection. It's a huge game, but you can choose what parts you want to be downloaded and, you know... So hopefully they instill a better compression algorithm than what Activision does, because Activision stuff is always bloated. Intentionally. I mean, yeah, they have a lot of stuff going on, so they are going to be bigger than other games, but some of it's a little intentional to prevent people from being able to download other games. There's a little fucking psychological warfare on other companies. Um, so anyway, that would be dope. I'm sure they had to have thought of this already. I'm sure 1,200 million people already thought of this at this point. Um, this is not like the most original idea ever. It's like, oh, well, they did Master Chief Collection. How cool would it be with zombies? Because there's one thing about zombies that we all know. The only zombies... Fuck Vanguard. We don't talk about that one. The only zombies that is cross-play and cross-progression is Cold War. And it's a cool zombies mode, but wouldn't it be so cool if on Black Ops 3 zombies you could go and play with your buddies uh, regardless of the platform and have all the enhancements? Better yet, why not just have all of the COD zombies maps and modes and guns and features and ways to play available on new servers, right? With better graphics, better lighting, and with either a remade version or just the original version with polished fidelity and performance. 60 frames stable, minimum. 120 to 144 frames maximum, if you want. I don't know. Cross-play, cross-progression, all those things, right? The ultimate COD Zombies experience. And here's the kicker. It's not an Xbox exclusive. Let's make that shit for PlayStation. They deserve that too. So you send that off to PlayStation too. They gotta buy it, of course. But, you know, 70 bucks. People will buy that. And it's a live service game. So here's the thing. First off, people will be logging in daily. Are you kidding me? To have access to all the CODs, regardless of who's on platform, fully cross-play. So PlayStation players could play with Xbox players. Xbox players could play with PC. They could all intermingle play together. Oh, my God. Then, on top of that, and all their modes with better graphics, better lighting, better uh, server stability, all of it. 
with new progression systems for the overarching thing. So if you jump in and do Kino on Black Ops 1 and then you jump in and do Transit on Black Ops 2, you know, you have fun, you do whatever you want, Easter eggs, all that, and then you're getting some extra progression, kind of long-term progression, kind of like what Cold War does, but different, obviously. Hopefully, maybe better. I don't know. That'd be amazing. Have all those interconnected. Have everyone able to play. And, of course, it'd be day one Game Pass. That, I, I, honest to God, I think that would be, uh, that should be all. Of the, <laughs> uh, fuck, fuck the next COD post-MW3. Fuck all that. Make that, make that be Microsoft's debut, like, entry into post-acquisition for COD. Oh my god. Because you have the nostalgia, you have people coming back who just want to replay the maps. Those games are so good, you just, you're going to want to go back and play them again. So to have them remastered, to have them perfectly available on one place where you can play with anybody at any point, with no hiccups, perfect. And it's playing better than it's ever played before. It's using the power of the new hardware you have. It's not like you're just running an old game. So even better, right? Just like what Black Ops 3 did with the remastered maps, you know? Same fucking concept. And then you have this be live service. I know that's a scary term, but I don't mean in the corrupt way. I mean you have future maps, modes, features added to that. Either if it's in an addition from the next COD entry that's in that, and then it gets ported into that, or it's its own thing. I don't care. Or both. Because you don't have to worry about player retention with this one. This one is a no-brainer. People will continue to play this and have this and come back to it. We do that with Black Ops 3. So... We're going to be doing it with something like that. The Zombies Collection? Are you shitting me? So, it wouldn't be like, oh, we're waiting for new content. It would just be like, holy fuck, there's a new Zombies map. Original, from Treyarch. Never seen before. Let's go play it. Fuck. (laughs) That's how you keep a goddamn subscription number up. If they did that... God, if they only made that Xbox exclusive, do you know how violent people would turn over and buy a console or buy a PC or find a way to access Game Pass subscriptions or buy it on Xbox if they don't want Game Pass. That would be nuts. I don't think they should do that, though. I think they should sell it on PlayStation because they've said they want to sell their services. So Game Pass, that will absolutely just increase the retention rate and increase the people coming to Game Pass. And it doesn't force PlayStation players to have to go and get an Xbox. Why do that? Why do that when they would just spend $70 for your game? No problem. Yeah, do you make more money if they buy an Xbox? Yeah. It's harder, to, but it's still harder to get someone to buy a console for one game. Especially if it's this, if this is remastered, all those games are still on PlayStation. They're not going anywhere, so they could still just say, oh, fuck it, I'll just play it on PlayStation. I'm not buying a new console for a remastered version of games I already have. So that would be too hard to try to convert them over. So keep it on PlayStation. Let them get the benefits too. The money is still going to you, majority. So as a company, you're still getting a chunk of the PlayStation money when people buy it there. So what the fuck does it matter? You know what I mean? That would be cool. Things like that. I'd love to see a crossover game with Doom, BJ Blazkowicz, Master Chief, a Doom, you know, Doom guy... BJ Blazkowicz, Master Chief, which they could have done already. And now, like, I don't know, Price and Woods, at least. I don't know, something like that. That'd be cool. Mason, maybe. I don't fucking know. Things like that. 
they're gonna bring old franchises back from the dead. Guitar Hero, um, you know, Spyro, all, all those things, right? They're gonna bring things that people want to pro- possibly. I think Prototype is a Activision thing. Sekiro, funny enough, is uh, Activision. It's the only time, I think, it's the only time FromSoft went and got published not by Bandai Namco for whatever reason. So Sekiro will be on Game Pass, which is kind of cool because that's a great game. So what's this pose for the future? So it's a lot. A lot of games will come back. A lot of games will be back compat. Right, but a lot of people are making a point. Why would I buy a Game Pass just to play a bunch of old Activision games that I could play? Well, if they're remastered, that'd be great. But it's also the future. Diablo 4. If you haven't bought Diablo 4 yet and you have Game Pass, guess what? You're going to have access to it next year. And that game's going to be a while, around for a while. There's no rush to that one. COD's a little different. COD comes and goes. So they need to figure out a new COD structure. Things like that. So there's so many more things to come. And the treatment of the games. We may not have to deal with another Overwatch 2 snafu like we've had to this year. I'm not an Overwatch guy, but I saw that shit go down and I'm like, wow, that's fucked up. They just cut all the content that would have made it Overwatch 2. They just deleted all the progress of the original Overwatch from 2016. And all the things you bought, all that just vanished. Didn't fully transfer over. And now you're stuck with, yeah, better graphics, maybe a better engine, but that's it. A free-to-play, watered-down version of what you originally thought you loved. That sucks. Guess what? That could be reverted. I don't think it will be. That's too much trouble. But Microsoft now is in control. you got to understand, when the head of all of it leaves, even though it's the same company that's being absorbed, it's not the same people running it. You have different people running it. If fucking Phil Spencer wants Overwatch 1 to come back, guess what? He'll figure it out. He'll Let's bring Overwatch back. Why not? <laughs> It's whatever. I don't know. I don't know how they would do that. I don't know if they would do that. It's also, it has to make economic sense. It's not just personal preference, right? But my point is that these possibilities will be available. The employees will be treated better. There is a bright future ahead, specifically in the sphere of Activision Blizzard, but it's not all perfect. There can be problems. First of all, a lot of these games could fall through, right? You don't buy this just for nostalgia purposes. That would be stupid. So while that's great, and that's of an immediate service, and that just adds to the quality of life to have a permanent library of all Activision Blizzard games, which is huge. That's a big fucking deal. Um, It would cost you over $1,000 to own all the CODs and play them. Um, You know what I mean? And I guess they could still, like, not put a game on Game Pass and then make you buy it outright, but the odds of you doing that are less likely than you just staying and subscribe. It's the path of least resistance is Microsoft's strategy, and it works. Whatever makes it easier for you to stay in their system that makes them some money, they'll do, even if it's less money than if it was harder. Is it harder to get someone to go and buy a $70 game than to be subscribed and have access to a bunch? Yeah. So why would they do that? Why would they switch up the script and make you do that? They won't. It's just not feasible. We have seen their unredacted and leaked documents that show how much money Game Pass is actually doing for them, which is quite a bit, and how that is their entire strategy going forward for the next decade. So it's not like this whole HBO Netflix thing where they're pulling content that we all knew and love. Like, if it's licensed and its license expires and it moves on, that's one thing. Yeah, content comes and goes. There's some good games that leave Game Pass. But if it's first party, it's not going anywhere. 
There's no need to worry about that. At least not now. I would say at least not until the next console generation. We'll see how it goes within about eight years. If it seems to go downhill, then we switch. We, we jump ship. The consumer will go wherever they're being benefited the most. If they're too stupid to know any better, if they're not aware of what's around them, then they might fuck up. But other than that, if the consumer is at least aware, they will go where whatever suits their wallet and their value of time and energy. That's all. It's a, it's a pretty simple thing. Microsoft understands that. They know that this is a back and forth. Sony has been whooping their ass for almost a decade, but they also know that Sony is on an outdated archaic system. Sony's idea of $60, $70 games, right? Right out the bat, AAA, big features, you know, and they, I'm, not, I'm not knocking Sony. I think they're Sony's great, and I think they make cool games. I mean, not all of them are for me, but that's okay. Uh, some of those games I desperately want to play. And Sony's huge, folks. Play, their PlayStation is one of their biggest assets, so they're not fucking around. They're not going anywhere. They're massive. They're just not Microsoft. That's the only difference. But if you're comparing PlayStation to Xbox, PlayStation is so much bigger than Xbox in terms of console sales, in terms of users, in terms of uh, money. It's the parent company you have to worry about. Sony... Sony can't buy a company for $70 billion and still have enough to operate everything else. They just can't. They don't have that. Right? Now, Sony's big in film, television, cameras, electronics, and other things as well. Huge in that department. They have their own film studio. That's something Microsoft doesn't have. Almost everything else, everyone else does. Nintendo doesn't have their own film studio, but they're getting into movies. Microsoft is lacking. They, they gave Paramount the rights to uh, Halo. Big fuck up. But other than that, like Microsoft is not doing anything with their games and their IPs in any other area. Hell, even Take-Two Interactive with 2K, which I think they're selling 2K, or Gearbox. Gearbox is being sold out from 2K, sadly. Even they're making a Borderlands movie on Netflix, which we'll see how that goes. I feel like it's... um way past their window to make that viable, but whatever. So the reason why you see Sony put out movies and TV shows based on their IP so much easier is because Sony has a massive foothold in the film industry. They have some of the best cameras in the industry. They have some of the best um, film and television equipment. I went to Sony Studios. They're not fucking around. <laughs> They're incredible. <laughs> I went to their studio. They have the best post-sound design system in the world they don't fuck around a lot of their money is there spider-man movies that's that's them you know i don't know how sony got the rights to spider-man also sony does music which people forget sony does that sony's columbia pictures tristar sony pictures columbia music sony's massive guys we we forget because Microsoft is paying $70 billion for a company. But Microsoft is tech and software. And don't get me wrong, almost everything runs on Windows. Including including Pro Tools, which they use in Sony's uh, studios. So, yeah, Microsoft is fine. But I'm just saying that, like, Sony is big. They're not as big as Microsoft financially. They're not as big as Apple. They're not that big, but they're big. They are one of the big ones. They're still not to be fucked with. They're not going away anytime soon they don't have the capital it's just not feasible especially when you're in film you just don't have that capital to be spending that much money on one acquisition but if you're headlining in game c microsoft doesn't have film television they don't have to worry about that 
Films and television are expensive, and the risk of uh, return on investment is crazy. Right, and with Sony, Sony's biggest uh, um, things that they make money off of are James Bond movies in partnership with MGM, which is probably not going to be for very long because now Amazon owns MGM, and I think Amazon's going to just try to spearhead it without Sony's help. But Sony's biggest is actually in network television, sitcom, NBC stuff like Community and things like that. NBC uses Sony's equipment and their post-production facilities a lot. So Sony gets a good cut of that. Um, and then also Sony's got Crunchyroll. So anime, they've got that down pat and that's good for them. But then lastly, Spider-Man. Spider-Man is their biggest. I mean, Spider-Man is so big that it, it when the second one of the new ones, what's it called? Uh... Not far from home. Was it far from home? Anyway, the second one after, the one with uh, Mysterio, with Jake Gyllenhaal. Forget the name of it now. Came out a few years ago. That movie made so much fucking money for them. And that movie made more money than all five of their largest selling movies ever. And they didn't even get to keep 100% of the profits because uh, half of that, if not more, went to Disney. And that's why Sony almost said, fuck you, we're out. Venom is great for Sony because Venom made a shit ton of money, and that's all under their control. Marvel had nothing to do with that, sadly. Both Venom movies. So we'll see. We'll see where, where it all goes from here. But, uh... I'm surprised Disney hasn't just forked up the money to buy the rights to Spider-Man back, but that would be a very, very, very expensive singular IP acquisition. One that would pay off and be worth it and rid Microsoft, uh, sorry, rid Disney of having to deal with Sony ever again. But we'll see. I don't think that'll ever happen. Um... I mean, they'd have to offer an ungodly... Because Sony's not going to sell that. The, the, what Spider-Man does for their merchandising, for their games, for their movies and television, keeps them afloat in so many ways. If they didn't have Spider-Man or Michael Jackson, they'd be in a lot of trouble. They'd be in a lot of financial trouble. Which is hilarious, because Michael Jackson wanted to play Spider-Man. Of course, he didn't, but that would have been a sight to see. Um, so, I'm not... Joking. Sony doesn't fuck around. Last of Us is a phenomenal show and a phenomenal game, right? They've, they, they got Universal involved with the Horror Nights, which is okay. They got, um, you know what I mean? They have the licensing with the MLB for the MLB The Show, which is like the premiere. So Sony PlayStation is not fucking around. They are in it for the long haul too. They will duke it out with Microsoft. And so their thing is they just bought Bungie, which is huge. Destiny is a money-printing machine, and it's hilarious because Bungie is what started Microsoft. Uh, not Microsoft, Xbox, with Halo. Halo was the thing that brought Xbox to the forefront, and that was developed by Bungie. So Bungie and Xbox birthed through Halo wouldn't create the Xbox brand name. We wouldn't be here without Bungie. We wouldn't be here without Halo. And now Bungie has been bought by Sony, and to bring back their, they're bringing back their main like OG game marathon. That was something that was like underlooked. Apparently, I've never heard of it. And then, um, so that's kind of crazy, full circle. And it's funny because Activision was the intermediate. Once Bungie left Microsoft, Destiny was published by Activision, which is fucking hilarious. Because now, you know, I don't think 
Bungie was owned by my Activision. I think it was just a contractual agreement for Destiny, which, to be fair, technically that meant they were under Activision because that was the only game they focused on for 10 years. Destiny 1 and 2, that's it. Bungie hasn't worried about anything else. And rightfully so, those are huge games with a lot of things going on. So, you know, it makes sense. It's their, it's their epic. Um, so, crazy stuff like that, right? Um, Sony has been in talks of looking into buying uh, a bunch of other studios and stuff, and From Software is on the table. I have heard leaks and rumors that Sony is looking into acquiring FromSoft. <sighs> that would piss me off. That would piss me off more than anything else. If Sony bought Activision Blizzard, I would be upset because I'd be like, fuck, there goes COD and Diablo and all these other games I like. Those, I'll never get to play those. See, with Microsoft, the difference is Microsoft will make those games third-party. Not all of them, but they'll make a bunch of them third-party. A bunch. They own Minecraft. They, the Minecraft is still third-party. Skyrim, Elder Scrolls, all games that have been previously released stay third-party. And some future games still will be third-party, but most won't be. And that's understandable. Right? If Sony bought these things, we know for a fucking fact they would not only remove them from the digital storefronts of previous ownership, they will absolutely make it first party without hesitation. They do it in the most violent and aggressive ways possible. They bought the rights to, or they, they, they paid uh, Square Enix to prevent Final Fantasy Final Fantasy, to going on Xbox services. Not Game Pass, just Xbox in general. They paid Square Enix and the makers of, and, and the devs of Final Fantasy to not let Final Fantasy go to Xbox at all. That's ludicrous. <laughs> you know how much you'd have to pay someone to prevent them from putting it on an entire other marketplace? A lot of money. That's a lot of money. Just to prevent it. Has Microsoft done that before? Probably, but that, was, that wasn't revealed. Microsoft just buys the company out. It's a little more aggressive, actually. So, yeah, it's, they're competitors. They're business competitors, and their fanboys are always pitted against each other. And I, and I try to make this very clear. I am part of the Xbox team because that's the ecosystem. I'm a consumer of Xbox stuff. That benefits me as a consumer. I'm not against PlayStation. I got, nothing, I got no quarrels with PlayStation. I think PlayStation is dope. My roommate's got a PlayStation. Shit is fun. They've got some dope games. They've got games I wish I could play. I also have a PC, so now I'm not even in a fucking hurry. Once you have a PC, you can do both. Because they both want to get on the PC market. It just makes them money, and there's no direct ownership. It's like the Wild West out there. So I could play Last of Us, God of War, and Spider-Man all on my PC right now. I just don't have the money or time, but it's there, and I'm not worried about it. If they add Bloodborne to PC, it's over. I'm playing that game. I want to play that game desperately. Ghost of Tsushima and Bloodborne are the only two I'm really wanting to play. And of course, like, I want to play Spider-Man, don't get me wrong. Desperately want to play Spider-Man. I want to take a shot, shot at the new God of War. Like, all of them interest me. But I really, really want to play Ghost of Tsushima, and I really, 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 really want to play Bloodborne. And I can't. Those aren't on PC. Yet. Or if they ever will be. That's weird. I'm like, huh? You got all these other ones. What are you doing? It's like they're targeting me. No. <laughs> so, yeah, it is what it is. But if they buy from software, I'm going to lose my shit. 
I will genuinely flip my lid. That will fuck me over for a minute. Because they are my favorite game devs of all time. I think, consistently. They made two of some of my favorite games of all time. So, it's really hard. That would be that would be rough. Because they would make that first party exclusive. App. So fucking lootly. They might not even put it on PC. That would be brutal. It sucked to not be able to play Bloodborne when that came out. I wanted to play that. Uh, that's one game. I could wait. That was one exclusive deal. So if anyone were to acquire FromSoft, it would be Sony. They have the means and they, they have the relationship. Here's the thing, though. Hopefully, if that ever happens... Much like Microsoft, they strike third-party deals so it doesn't completely become exclusive. I don't like this exclusive back and forth. I don't think COD should ever go first-party exclusive to anything. I think it should always be third-party. That's one of the beauties about COD. Uh, same with Diablo. I think Diablo should always be available to all platforms. Good games deserve to be played by all people regardless of their platform. It just should be. You know, I get it. You got some of your mascots. Halo. You know, you got God of War, you got Last of Us. I get it, those can be first party. But games like Elden Ring, games like COD, games like Diablo, games like Skyrim, those should be available to all platforms at all times. I firmly believe that. It's not. A, I'm not biased in this one. I'm not like, oh, well, Sony can't be exclusive. But <laughs> It was great to see MLB shows say, well, wait a second, why can't we be on other stuff? I know we're developed by Sony, but... MLB has more money than people realize as well. So they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll put us on other stuff. So now MLB The Show is on Xbox. And it's not even on X. It's not just on Xbox. It's on Game Pass. It is a Sony-made game. To it's the only instance of a PlayStation first-party game that is available day one on Game Pass. So people on PlayStation, from a PlayStation dev, PlayStation fans of baseball, have to pay full price for their baseball game on the platform that is first party whereas me on the competitive platform gets it free or no additional cautious i should say day one that's nuts so to me there's a lot of possibilities minecraft is on playstation and it should always be accessible to everyone it's a it's an important game for children for uh, childhood development and it's important for everybody to have access to something like minecraft there's no reason that that should ever be exclusive. So I, I firmly believe that if the game is already available to everything, it should it should always stay that way. And I think there are certain franchises franchises that their future iterations should also stay that way. Call of Duty and Diablo, Overwatch, um, World of Warcraft. Those are some of them. You know. Now this does not mean, and those are the main entries. That doesn't mean you can't have a Diablo. Uh, uh, some goodies, some treats, some loots, uh, some extra bonuses. That doesn't mean you can't have a bonus mode like PlayStation's been doing with Call of Duty for the past eight years. Like if you buy it for, like right now with Modern Warfare 3, if you bought it, if you have a PlayStation, you bought it there, you get early access. You get all these bonus features, you get extra guns. Uh, Cold War, they got, PlayStation got an entire new mode in COD that was only available to them. That's nuts. Right? I mean, they are hypocritical in the sense that they're acting like Microsoft's the big bad wolf for doing this. Microsoft's spending a shit ton of money. Of course they're going to keep it first party. They need to make money back. Some of it. But I don't think all of it needs to be first party. They'll make just as much money regardless. 
because their philosophies change, they're not trying to just sell units. They're trying to sell their services and their ecosystem. And when you do that, you can't force someone's hand. You have to gently coerce them. Ecosystems are sold on convenience and reliability. They're not sold on brute force. Consoles are sold on brute force. If Elden Ring, if FromSoft was bought by Sony, and if Elden Ring was taken off every system, you got your save in the server, so you don't lose your progress if you're on other systems, but if you buy a PlayStation, it's not on PC, it's not on Xbox, it's not on Nintendo, nothing else. You have to buy a PlayStation, you have to play it. When you play it, you'll re-download, it'll reconfigure your data from the cloud, from the Bandai Namco servers, and you'll be good. You'll have all your progress just as it was, right? Let's say, hypothetically, that was the case. Guess what? I'm buying a PlayStation. I want one anyway, so that would be the that would be the tipping point, you know. But like that would force my hand, and I will, would forever be pissed at Sony for doing that. That would be the worst move they could possibly make. But I love that game so much, and I want to continue to play that game. It's one of my all-time favorite games. Right, And of course I get the benefit of having a PlayStation. I wouldn't just get it for that. I would get other games that I've always wanted on PlayStation and, and features, right? So there's some more benefits to that. That is the mentality of this console war type of thinking. And Microsoft is very clear in saying you can buy a console. We want you to buy a console, but they're not really that worried about it. Because they see the future in the cloud and the subscri subscription services because that's consistency and that's reliability and that's actually easier for them. That's less production cost and that's less difficult. You know, they'll still be selling consoles like hotcakes. People still want the next Xbox console and if they're not on PC or if they're kids or whatever, they're, you know, Xboxes are still going to be relevant as physical consoles. But they're not just worried about that. They want cloud services. They want availability. They want cross-play backwards compat they have built an ecosystem if you if you have not figured that out yet you're not paying attention and it's all tied to a singular subscription they beat apple to it apple now has a family and a, and a bundled subscription you get apple music you get icloud drive you get apple tv plus you get apple arcade they got the whole andy it's actually pretty beneficial if you use iphone and mac and stuff which i do so if you use icloud and if you have an apple tv my parents love to watch shows on Apple TV+. Plus. I like a couple of them. Um, I use iCloud a lot. I need that iCloud drive. Um, you know, Apple Arcade's kind of cool. It's getting better. You can get a lot of games that you would normally have to pay for, mobile games that you'd have to pay for, for free. And you don't have to pay a... Um, there's no microtransactions in these. Most of the time. There's no way that it gets you to pay more money. That's a huge thing that they don't market enough in Apple Arcade. But if you download an Apple Arcade game, even if it's a game that's like normally has microtransactions, that's why you don't see Supercell games in um, Apple Arcade. That would never be feasible for them. They built on that microtransaction structure. Anyway, crazy, crazy how all these companies implement their rules. So where do we go from here? Well, I'm thinking in the next two to four weeks, we'll start seeing a trickle of games. Not like old, old games from Activision brought back. Okay? Everything that's in a live service mode and state right now, right? Diablo 4 has got their new season coming out next week, which I'm kind of excited for. We'll see how it goes. You know, nothing's changing course on that. COD Modern Warfare 3 is still spinning and firing in all cylinders. Crazy that they just got acquired today. <laughs> you know, and they've gotten the... 
the uh, acquisition just went through, and, and now they've got the COD coming out in less than a month. That's crazy timing. We're in the second week of open beta. You know what I mean? So, and it's not like a, it's a transition of assets and of getting things done, but it's done. Activision is now owned by Microsoft. It's over, so it's not like it's like a, oh, well, they're still kind of their own company until the, no, 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 it's done, unless I don't know better, but it's, it's, that's been the process the whole time. So now it's literally just getting the IP in the right places and the marketing and the banners and the prices and the reductions and the whatever, whatever choices are made. So the future is, okay, what happens to the back catalog? How much of it is on Game Pass at what time? I don't think they have the fucking capacity or... And I don't think they should put everything on Game Pass immediately. Activision is huge. They have a massive library. It's bigger than most people realize. So I, I think it would be just perfectly feasible to do some of the big ones. They're going to have to start doing hubs. You know, like Disney, you go on Disney Plus, it's like you hit the Star Wars franchise hub, you get all the Star Wars stuff. They're going to have to start doing that on Game Pass. This is getting ridiculous. There's so many things to navigate. So if you want Bethesda, you hit the Bethesda hub. If you want that, obviously you could still sort the games by order, by most recently uploaded and all that, you know? But it's just like, God damn. There's a lot coming. If you have been planning on playing old CODs or buying old CODs or all that, don't. <laughs> it ain't worth it. I feel like we're going to start seeing the old Call of Duties come back to Game Pass and back combat and all that with servers online and all that functioning very soon. It makes a lot of sense that they get the big highlight ones, the big flagship pullers, some of the Diablo 3, all the ones that they can legally put on within this year, they will do before November, before Black Friday. Because Black Friday, people are going to buy Xbox consoles, they're going to buy discounted Game Pass subscriptions, and they're going to be doing that through the holiday season. That's their gonna. That's their time frame. That's not a lot of time. We are midway in October. That means in the next two to four weeks, we will be seeing a lot of the big hitters of Activision that are not within this year will be on Game Pass. I, I'm pretty sure of that. We'll see if I'm wrong. I'd love for it to be tomorrow, honestly. I, I just, I'm looking at my Game Pass right now. Ain't nothing new. Doesn't even feel like this acquisition happened. They posted one video, one blog post. It was not, I mean, it was a huge deal and everyone's losing their mind online. <laughs> you know? But other than that dope trailer, which, by the way, they could have cut that a year ago. Who knows when they edited that. Um, great trailer. But other than that, like, it doesn't feel like anything's different from a consumer level. We've just heard of the announcement. To be fair, it just closed today. Nothing will happen for a while. So, it's an interesting time to be alive where acquisitions of your favorite brands are being transitioned over and possibly to your favorite services. It's a scary time because this also enables a lot of other companies to think this is okay. Microsoft should not acquire another company for the next three years. <laughs> they need to invest all of this money and energy and time and focus in making these companies work better. There's no reason that you can't, it's like, if you're going to be Thanos and if you're going to collect all the Infinity Stones and just not snap your fingers for your objectives, then what's the fucking point, right? The gauntlet's been made, the Infinity Stones have been collected. This is a big one. So this is the ripping the, 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 the uh, Mind Stone or Soul Stone, which one was it? Soul Stone out of Vision's head. You know, this is that one. I guess that was the last one before the snap. 
I feel like Microsoft will still acquire stuff. They still have plans to acquire things, but I think it's going to be boring stuff. I don't think it's going to be flagship titles and shit. I think it's going to be hardware and infrastructure stuff next. They are gearing everything for the cloud and serviceable internet and online connectivity. That's where they're gearing things for the next 10 years. That was shown in that unredacted file. I talked about that and what's happening with Xbox. So, anyway... Thank you for listening to my long, long rant, my history, my, my projections, my thoughts, my feelings, my opinions, being an Xbox consumer, uh, being a, you know, somebody who prefers more art and less control over art and less corporation control. Uh, talk about my excitement about a corporation controlling a shit ton of art. How funny is that? Listen, philosophically, morally, I'm on the fence about this one. As a consumer, I'm fucking excited. I can say that. But objectively, looking at this in the long term, I'm petrified. I am not 100% sure if this is a good move. It is for Microsoft, but I don't care about that. It's the trend. Because it's only, it's only starting a battle where it's just going to go up. More companies are going to be... And consolidation is going to be really big. So, if in 10 years... 85% of all the best games and franchises are owned by five companies. That's not fun. People think that's the way with film. The big money-making film stuff, the big marketable stuff, but a lot of the film industry, 90% of the film industry is independent. So that's not really the case. So we'll see where it goes. But I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm enthusiastic. I'm hopeful. I'm scared. I'm skeptic. And I'm tired. So I'm going to call this a wrap. Thank you all for listening, and have a good day.